the jury. The prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report, where we're coming to you live from our radio and television studios located in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. Folks, you know that we broadcast live each and every weeknight, that's Monday through Friday, of course, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. Of course, we're, we're simulcast on our official YouTube channel. There you can tune us in, as well, on, on Blog Talk Radio. You can do this in all from Hagman and Hagman dot com. That's Hagman and Hagman dot com. And of course, we've got uh, don't forget we've got a number of different websites. Two actually two very important websites: Hagman and Hagman dot com for our show, and of course Hagman the uh, I'm sorry HagmanReport dot com uh, for news and information. That's HagmanReport dot com and Hagman and Hagman dot com. Bookmark both. I'm Doug Hagman at the helm with fellow investigator researcher and most importantly my son Joe Hagman. Together we are the Hagman and Hagman Report. It's something I like to call America's premier father son investigative reporting team. Uh, folks, uh, I, you know I'm going to dispense with all of the. Uh, uh, housekeeping issues, except to say that portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by WholeTonesLive.com. WholeTonesLive.com. Visit WholeTonesLive.com for your dose of of inspirational, informational, um, or inspirational, I should say, a, a, a music, healing music. That's WholeTonesLive.com. More on that later. But we're so pleased. Uh, coming right out of the box here, right out of the shoot, because her time is so critically important, valuable, and she's up against the, the gun all of the time with her schedule. We have, as our very special guest, Ms. Chris Ann Hall. That's Chris Ann Hall. She's a constitutional attorney. She's an author, a, tr- a tremendous speaker. She also is her is a radio host, and her website is chrisannhall.com. It's linked off of hagmanandhagman.com, but it's K-R-I-S. Okay, folks, pay attention to the spelling now. K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E. That's ChrisAnnHall.com. Uh, very, during the, um, during the Oregon, I don't want to say standoff, but during the Oregon, um, situation that, uh, that took place in, in the, um, and, and it wasn't a surrender, but, but basically a change of venue, uh, of the protesters. Chris Ann Hall, I listened to this live. I was so impressed having uh, uh, five years in, in uh, or uh, five years, 30 years ago uh, in my other life, I suppose, being a part of uh, emergency medical response and, and such, um, having seen some just some situations exactly which she was thrust into go badly. I listened with rapt attention to uh, with her uh, uh, as she was talking uh, the Talking with the uh, uh, individuals, or the the one individual, lone individual that was holding out, and she just uh, uh, she did a job that I was I I just I just felt pride, and and I felt that the really the Holy Spirit working through her and 
and she just did such a wonderful job in defusing. And I believe it was her and her alone that defused a potentially bad situation. Before we bring her on, Joe, I just want to bring you on, and then you can go ahead and bring uh, Ms. Hall on. Yeah, it's great to be here. Looking forward to the show tonight. Again, uh, constitutional attorney, radio show host, author, speaker, and more. Chris Ann Hall is joining us. Again, her website, chrisannhall.com, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. With that, Ms. Hall, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am, I am very honored to be here. I want to thank you for inviting me. Well, it's, it's, it's our, it's our <laughs> pleasure to have you. Um, Right during the, right before the show, and, and because of your demanding schedule, I mean, you're all over the country all the time, just about. We really didn't have a lot of chance to, to speak, folks. And this is, this interview is actually really from the heart. It's, it's being led by the Spirit, by, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, we're going to go in places that we don't even know where we're going to go yet. But, uh, let's just, uh, <laughs> you know, with that introduction, I just, I, I guess the first place to start here, uh, Miss Hall is this, uh, um, I almost want to say, what were you thinking <laughs> uh, when you were thrust into that position? But, but seriously, you, you, you were marvelous with the Lavoie Finnegan, um, Oregon, the uh, Mulher uh, uh, Ranch, uh, with with uh, Reverend uh, Graham. You were instrumental in diffusing that situation. Can you give us like a rundown for people who aren't really familiar with that? Because you were you were you did such a great job. Um, well, you know the, a, um, the the Oregon uh, situation is is the culm- is is the beginning of the culmination of such frustration in uh, the hearts and minds and lives and spirits of our ranchers and farmers who have been battling with the federal government on the federal government's playing grounds for over 50 years. And I think that's something that people really don't understand. They look at what happened and they, and they, and, and we have a tendency in human nature to play armchair quarterback. And to say, you know, uh, they did it wrong. They, yeah, this is how they should have done it. They never should have done this. They never should have done that. But I think a lot of, uh, like I was saying, we simply do not understand how long this battle has been going on over land rights. The federal government has been, uh, taking land inch literally sometimes inch by inch from our ranchers and farmers for over 50 years and when our ranchers and farmers have to uh, oppose the bureau of land management or the federal forestry service or the epa or any of these federal agencies they don't get to fight them in a regular court like you or i would 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 create handle a civil dispute when you oppose an executive agency, you oppose them in what we call an administrative law court, which means the court is created by that agency, uh, ruled over by a judge who's employed by that agency, whose task is to determine whether the agency is following its rules properly or not. This is your, this is a banana republic kangaroo court by all definitions. And so the farmers and the ranchers have been playing this game with the federal government for for over 50 years watching the federal government 
split the baby, as it were, saying, okay, well, the federal government can have this portion of the land and the landowners can have this portion of the land, only to, only for years, for years later, having the federal government come in and renege on their deal and, uh, start taking more land. I mean, it's, it's become absurd. In, uh, Texas, we have a family where the landowner died. And the inheritance of the land went to probate. Well, while it was in probate to determine the proper heir, the Bureau of Land Management filed itself in probate court as an heir to the estate. This is the ridiculous nature that we have. And we have families who have been fighting in these these kangaroo courts now for generations only losing money. I mean, talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in court fees and only only to get nothing in return. And so what we have now is a situation where we have farmers and ranchers that are feeling desperate. I mean, they've, they've lost everything. Their, their livelihood, the livelihood of their family members, of their grandchildren have been stolen from them. And so, we, we, like I said, we're reaching the point of desperation, and and it's it's amazing that these farmers and ranchers are able to actually hold their composure together. I mean, we see leftist groups going violent and blowing up buildings like the underground, you know, underground weather or, or the weather underground, sorry, and the environmental yeah. extremists blowing up things for fractions. Of the of the of the theft that the that these farmers and ranchers are studying, and and are and are are tolerating, and so what we had was we had the occupation of the federal building, which by the way was an unoccupied federal building that nobody ever used and was peacefully occupied by these protesters, and uh, when the FBI was able, uh, several groups of people plus the FBI were able to negotiate free passage. There were four people that said, you know, we're, we don't feel satisfied with this. We, we are not leaving. And so, um, there were those who were able to convince the four that it was, it was time to, like you said, move the protest to a new venue. We're not quitting. We're just changing the venue so that we can be more productive in the message. And uh, the day of passage was arranged, and three of the four protesters left. The fourth man, uh, David Fry, refused to leave. Uh, it became uh, apparent that that there was some emotional instability there, uh, and some outside influences that were somehow uh, influencing him. And and you realize this is a spiritual battle, right? This is not a battle between the American people and, and the Bureau of Land Management. This is a spiritual battle. And he was obviously being spiritually attacked. And uh, I, I didn't call to negotiate. There was nothing to negotiate. Uh, I called, uh, I was, I was asked to call in to talk about the things that we're doing legislatively and educationally to inform people and educate them on the uh, federal, the unlawful nature of the federal government's occupation of land in the West and the constitutional, uh, the Constitution's point 
of delegation of land, the limited nature of that delegation, and the um, rights reserved to the states within their own land. So we're talking about groups and legislators and legislation that's being passed and being put forward that is changing the dynamics of the federal government's land ownership and awakening the realities of constitutional limitations for the federal government and the land ownership rights of the states and the people. And then it all, all sort of turned. If I can jump in here, I'd just like to ask you, um, how much, you know, of, of these land grabs and the, and the federalization of land that we're seeing uh, is allowed in the Constitution versus how much has been uh, been able to be accomplished through, you know, executive orders or other administrative administrative rulemaking uh, through the uh, Federal Register. Okay, well, the Constitution is very clear on this matter. The only um, land that the federal government can exercise jurisdiction over in Article One, Section Eight, Clause Seventeen, is ten miles square for the capital of the federal government, Washington D.C. And the land and buildings necessary for forts, ports, and dockyards, as long as they have consent of the state and they have purchased this land from the state uh, under the principles of the Fifth Amendment of eminent domain. That's it. So if it's not a fort, a port, a dockyard, uh, if it's not 10 miles square, for Washington, D.C., the federal government has no constitutional authority to exercise ownership superior to the states. Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2, uh, talks about the federal government's ability to have territories. Territories are not land that is owned by the federal government. Territories are lands that are held in trust for future states. And once a territory becomes a state that is admitted into the Union, it is now a state. It's no longer a territory. And as Thomas Jefferson explained in the very first Bureau of Land Management, which was properly established, by the way, uh, was that once the land becomes a state, it is to never return to the federal government. And so these national forests were not created via constitutional authority. They were created through unconstitutional congressional act. And um, any exercise of power over land beyond a territory, beyond forts, ports, and dockyards, beyond 10 miles square, is land that has been acquired by the federal government, exercising power by the federal government contrary to the Constitution, but a power that has been expanded by the federal government on its own. Gotcha. And, folks, what you're hearing, our very special guest tonight is Chris Ann Hall, chrisannhall.com, linked off of Hagman and Hagman.com. Um, what I like to really refer to is, well, I mentioned Pastor David Langford, who is a, just a marvelous uh, uh, biblical uh, walking Bible, shall we say. Chris Ann Hall is just like Pastor Langford, but a walking uh, uh, constitution. I mean, she knows. I, I just, I'm amazed at, at her knowledge of the constitution uh, in, in sum and substance. So, um, all right, uh, fantastic answer to that. So, really, this it, well, what we're seeing here then is just all of this is unconstitutional. Everything that we're seeing taking place, and, and no one, what is it, uh, Miss Hall? Is it, is it, uh, 
is it ignorance? Is it apathy uh, by the people? Is it uh, mischaracterization by the press? Or is it all of the above? Well, it's all of the above, but it's all driven by ignorance. The apathy is a result of the ignorance. The misdirection by the media is uh, the result of ignorance. The power exercised by the federal government and sanctioned by the Supreme Court of the United States all circulates around ignorance. We have... Um, for over um, 200 years now, we've allowed the, fe- the Supreme Court to define its own power, and we've allowed the Supreme Court to define the federal government's power. We no longer look to the Constitution itself as the definitive creator of the federal government, as the definitive uh, definer of, of federal power. We look to a branch of the federal government to define the power delegated to the federal government. So what we've constructively done is allowed part of the federal government to define the whole of the federal government, which is completely contrary to the intent of our framers. James Madison told us in 1800 that the federal government, even through the judiciary, was governed uh, in matters of constitution by the states, not the other way around. And so what we have through decades of of errant education about the federal government and its proper role, we, we fundamentally created a kingdom in America where the people are ruled by an oligarchy of nine kings and queens. We say things like the Supreme Court issues rulings and... We call court cases the law of the land when nothing could be further from the truth. Courts don't issue rulings. Courts issue opinions. And according yep. to Article 3 of the Constitution and Article 6, Clause 2, uh, their opinions are no more binding on us than your next-door neighbors when they don't follow the Constitution. Yeah, and if I can jump in here, actually, uh, the, the president has a SCOTUS blog. I think it was February 22nd where he it, wrote... That's independent. Right. He, he wrote a, a short summary on what he expects from his next Supreme Court, uh, from the next Supreme Court justice, and where he said it is the job of the Supreme Court not to uh, make law, only to in- interpret it, which goes, you know, in the complete opposite direction of what they actually do. And a, a frequent guest of ours, Greg Jackson, has made some excellent points in this area, you know, pointing out that the these are just merely opinions of the Supreme Court, and they have somehow turned into this issue of judicial supremacy where they become the law of the land and the people um, do have a recourse, you know, again, to take and uh, a leg to stand on legally when, you know, talking about what you just said, they are and do not make binding law, yet their opinions have, uh, for some reason, been used as binding law, even though the president, in his own words, Say that's not the case, but he doesn't mean it. But the fact is, right. I mean, we're being gamed. I guess people are, and the ignorance factor, which you valiantly, uh, uh, your educational classes are just so tremendous. I've gotten emails from a lot of people who who have told me, you know, look, you've got to. Um, make sure that you really promote these because what you, the information you provide really wakes people up. But, but yeah, yes, what you just mentioned, uh, Miss Hall is this, or something that really gets my goat. I'm sorry, but, um, people hear the word Supreme Court decision. You're right. It's an opinion. A burger fell. It's not the law of the land, is it? The Supreme Court decisions, they're not the law of the land. 
Right. No, they're not. They're they're just simply opinions. And until we can regain uh, our understanding of the Constitution, it's unfortunate that we will continue to call, to create an oligarchy that doesn't exist. As long as we continue to to uh, refer to them as laws, as long as we f- continue to refer to them as rulings, and we continue to comply with them, even when they're contrary to the Constitution, then it's a power that they will exercise uh, beyond their authority. It takes the people standing up to this. Uh, I teach about 265 lessons in over 22 states every year, and and I'm blessed to be able to teach high school, middle school students, college students, adult groups. I teach religious liberty in the churches. I teach state legislators. I teach law enforcement. And I'm able to teach then in that avenue the proper role of government. What is the proper role of the states? What power was delegated to the federal government? And as Sam Adams said, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. He said, but on the contrary, when a people become universally ignorant they will, and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. And that's our problem. We are sinking because we do not understand our government, and our government is ruling and reigning over us when we're supposed to be governed uh, through equal representation as a constitutional republic. Amen to that. You know, you know, uh, Miss Hall. I know our time is extremely limited with you because of your punishing schedule, and and I respect that. So, um, I, I just we have so many people who are just right now sending us so many emails with questions and and uh, uh, compliments on, on on what you do. Um, I just all I want, you know, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Uh, why don't you just do this? Uh, t- t- tell us what you believe because of our limited time with you. Um, go ahead and tell us what you believe is most important. What's on your heart, on your mind, whether it be the election, whether you know, whether it be the Supreme Court nomination, whether it be terrorism, it doesn't matter. Whatever the subject is, I, I, we want you to set um, the the agenda and topic. What's on your heart? And well, you know, uh, I think I, I think ahead. what's important here is to realize that we are. We are coming to a point where people are go- are beginning to feel desperate. They're feeling their we, we're physically feeling the infringement of our liberties and our God-given rights, and we become we are becoming overwhelmed by the level of corruption and power being exercised by our federal government. And so we're looking for a savior. And I just want to impress upon people to please stop looking to the presidential elections as a savior, because that. That will only increase the overwhelmed feeling and the disappointment because no matter who we elect they will not succeed in the manner that we need them to succeed our real solution is through our state and local governments where we have the real control because the states have the power to step up and tell the federal government we will not comply with your laws when they do not uh, when they are not consistent with the Constitution. The states have that power, they're waking up to that power, and they're exercising that power. And the only way we're going to get this federal government under control is if we can get la- local state, uh, local and state governments and sheriffs that will defend the Constitution and the liberties of the people in the face of this far and overreaching federal government. And I want to also tell people that I believe there is a great deal of hope. When we feel overwhelmed, when we feel overpowered, we must remember 
that history dictates that when people stand for liberty, they win. And if you are a believer in Christ, then you have to know that God is the author of our liberty, and he will come to our aid when we have the fortitude to stand. He's not going to defend a bunch of spoiled kids who run around and whine and want things from government in one way and then don't want them for another. He's going to stand with us when we stand for our liberty and for the gifts that he's given us. That is guaranteed. It's why I do what I do. It's why my family is on the road all the time with me is because we believe that the price of liberty is still life, fortune, and sacred honor, and it's still worth it. Oh, amen to that. Uh, Miss Hall, again, I know I know your schedule is, is, is rough, but um, and I know that you were kind enough to give us 30 minutes here, and you're welcome if you have the opportunity to, to, to spend the rest of this segment with us. Um, if you so choose, you know, if, if your schedule does permit, but, um, uh, and, and what you just said there, moving backwards, I just want to make sure I offer that to you, but we, going back to what you just said, um, where, 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 where do you see right now, where do you see the uh, political machine that's out there? Uh, and this is a question we get asked all the time. Where, where do you, where do you see, even with an, this being an election year, with a new, uh, with with the president coming in, whether it's Trump or whoever that person might be, do you see this anything change, changing, or or does it have to? I, I, it, well, as you put it, it's got to change at the, at the most basic of levels. But do you see us putting too much stock into the next president versus educating ourselves about the own or educating ourselves about the uh, constitution and, and the uh, local changes we can we can enact ourselves here locally? Or, or I mean. Absolutely. Way too much, way too much hype in the presidential election, way too much faith in a presidential candidate. Uh, there are 469 seats in Congress up for election this November, and we are still completely consumed with one office and two people. The bottom line is, if you're going to fix, if you really think that we're going to fix Washington, D.C. through Washington, D.C., which I don't believe is possible, uh, you're not going to do it through the office of the president. You have to do it through the Congress. You have to do it through the House of Representatives. And so the real solution, federal government-wise, is through the 469 seats that are up for election in November. But when you multiply that by the fact that there are over 30 thousand seats up for election in state and local government where the people that you're electing are your next door neighbors and your doctors and your and your uh, mechanics and the people you have dinner with and go to church with that's where your real power r- lies i have a book called sovereign duty and the sovereign duty is uh my facilitation it's not even it's not an opinion based book it's a book based on what our framers wanted us to do when our federal government gets out of control they anticipated this government that we have today and they were uh they wanted us to make sure that we learned from their lessons from history on how to control the federal government and they never told us to control the federal government through the federal government they told us to control it through our states and local governments and so my book sovereign duty tells you about the constitutional sheriff tells us about the nature of the constitution who wrote it who's in control uh the limited nature of the federal government uh teaches nullification it teaches about the article 5 convention it teaches all of these things that our framers put into our hands to control a federal government that's uh consuming more power than delegated 
You know what, ladies and gentlemen, listening to this either live or ultimately via archive, Sovereign Duty, it's an e-book. It's under 10 bucks. It's the best 10, it's the best $10 you will ever spend. And people always ask us, what can we possibly do? Well, I, lo- I love your description. I love the description because you write, so get your boots on. The job is shovel ready. It's time to get to work. It's time to do our sovereign duty. You know, do you, and, and you, and you go on. Do you want answers to the, to the big debates about liberty? Well, do, do you want to be armed with the ammunition to defeat liberal lies? That to me, you know, with folks, every email that I've gotten about the various issues, and I've got tens of thousands, that's not an exaggeration. At last count, it was 112,000 emails uh, that that we've gone through or that this studio has received uh, since January 1. Okay, so having said that, this is the book to every person who asks that question, Sovereign Duty is the book that you need to get and everyone needs to get um and and, and uh, you know this is not an infomercial this is an educational duty of ours and again you can find that information uh in the youtube episode and below the description is the link to our website as well as on our website and the blog talk link but it's chrisannhall.com k r i s a n n e h a l l chrisannhall.com uh, you know, I, I'd love to, I don't know, again, I, I, I don't want to impose upon your schedule. I'd love to, if you can stay with us a little longer, can you? Can you? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, that's all right. But I promise that I will come back. If you want me to come back again, I will come back again. I promise you I will, but I'm not able to stay. I no, actually that's, that's have... Fine. Uh, I have an appointment uh, that I'm supposed to be at now. So. <laughs> okay. Well, look, I, I just want to say thank you so much for your time tonight, and thanks for squeezing us in so graciously. Uh, we will be talking about you after you leave, so if your ears are burning. <laughs> You're so gracious and, it's, and so knowledgeable. Uh, Ms. Hall, thank you so very much for, for appearing. My God pleasure. You. Thank you very much. All right. Folks, that was Chris Ann Hall from chrisannhall.com. What a gracious lady. And I'm serious. If you go to her website and if you look at her schedule, my word, okay, I thought we had a demanding schedule. No, we don't. Uh, Chris Ann Hall is, uh, uh, she is a wonderful educator. And I, I have to say this the Sovereign Duty ebook is perhaps one of the most information packed ebooks you'll ever get. If you're asking, what can we do? This is, that's the book. I mean, and, and she, she really hits the nail on the head with, with the, uh, uh, well, with the various, uh, I mean, what about constitutional sheriffs? What about Article 5's, uh, nullification? Okay. What, what, I mean, learn the truth about state sovereignty. And everyone, oh, everyone's got an opinion about nullification. Or, or state sovereignty, or this or that. She speaks from a position of authority. She has the information. That was Chris Ann Hall. What a, what a, what a great honor to have her on for the length of time we did. And we're going to get her back. We're going to get her back on on the show, right? So, yeah. Again, right. her book, Sovereign Duty. And that's one of one of many. Joe, I mean, we were looking at her website earlier. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how she does it. She, you know, she, she, wow. Path to Restoring America ebook, also a great book. Roots of Liberty, home school education, and especially for those people who homeschool their children. Um, if you're homeschooling your children, 
or know anyone who is, then that DVD is an interesting companion. And the essential, uh, well, it's a primer and companion to her book, Essential Stories for Juror Patriots. Okay, it's it's really a cool, it's cool how they, how they uh, combine with one another. But we had to get her on because the demand is so there. Bob and Maggie, this is, that was for you. Okay. And, and many others, but, but, uh, she'll come back and be with us. And, and if you don't mind, folks who are listening to this, send her an email. Send her an email. If you really want her back, send her an email and tell her that you heard her on our program. Please. Yeah. And thank her for, take, seriously, I kind of know what's going on, okay? schedule wise with her so there was I, really I, I was kind of thinking well maybe plans had changed but they didn't um, although it's not listed on her calendar it's what she's got to do tonight is extreme this week is extremely important so um, so there you have it but did you hear what she said though we can make the difference and, and it kind of goes along with what uh, Joe with what Paul McGuire talks about you know we still and we still have to occupy even if you're not of that mindset we still have to occupy until uh, until the return of our of our lord and savior so absolutely yeah um we are, we are going to be joined by standeo in the third hour yes in the meantime obviously there is a lot of uh, of news to, yes. to get into yes. uh, for those uh, i'm sure who have followed there has been a uh, multiple terrorist attacks in uh brussels, in brussels yeah and one was at an airport and uh, subway bombing, and it is looking like upwards of 30 people have been killed and hundreds more injured. Um, and it's coming to America. Of, you know, Ted Cruz. What is, you're looking at is coming to America, Joe. Ted Cruz blamed uh, Trump for the attacks, actually. He says something along the lines of, is there any coincidence that, you know, uh, just a few days ago, Trump was calling for the U.S. to leave NATO um, and whatnot, you know, and, and somehow that his saying that uh, aligned with uh, this attack also. Um, you know, I saw this article today. There's a video attached to it, and folks, you can go on Drudge or, or um, you can go on the Gateway Pundit. Uh, Glenn Beck bashes Christians for voting Trump saying evangelicals have been not listening have not been listening to their god as he is quoting from the book of mormon i'm very both joe and i are very disturbed by this okay beyond beyond even words we're very disturbed by what glenn beck said okay now i've had um i'm just going to come around and tell you ladies and gentlemen i i've had communications with glenn beck and his staff in the past and something yeah. has changed yeah more than that I mean um, you know the, he's aligning himself with Ted Cruz Ted Cruz is actually saying some things that he had taken Donald Trump to task for one about not allowing Syrian refugees into the country he has come out and said that now where he was you know calling Trump a racist for that same stance. Now Ted Cruz embracing Bloomberg-era surveillance in New York City. 
um, or New York values on surveillance. This from the Wall Street Journal. Senator Ted Cruz, who frequently criticized billionaire Donald Trump for having New York values, came to an Upper East Side townhouse Tuesday and praised the policies of former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg for his surveillance programs on Muslim Americans. Now, we see how the uh, mainstream media, how these, uh, I don't even want to call them protest groups, these uh, occupationalists, these uh, oppressive people in nature who are using fascist and oppressive tactics to uh, stop and silence a political candidate in a democratic election because they say he's fascist. But, I mean, but they're Joe, using uh, tactics that are but, but, what but they Joe, say he is espousing. Um, it, you know, it's such hypocrisy. But going on with wait, this... Wait a, second, wait a second. Let's cut to the chase, though, on all of this, because you mentioned Glenn Beck, okay? Yeah. I truly believe, folks, and, 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 and it's up to you to agree, disagree, whatever, but I truly believe this, what we're watching right now, is the preparation is the takedown of the of Christianity because they they are equating Glenn Beck uh, and Mormonism with Christianity. We don't worship the same God, folks. Yeah, can Can you tell me where in the Bible it says to follow the teachings of the Book of Mormon? What's well, the Book of Mormon? <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of a circular footnote. Yeah, if you follow my logic. Yeah, and. Um, it's a, I mean, it, you know, scratches my, I guess sit here and scratch my head and just wonder, you know, is the common sense so far removed from the average American citizen? Yes. That the media can just say anything, make up anything? I believe they can. And people believe it whole cloth. I'm actually reading emails and, uh, you know, different alternative media threads from teachers saying how they're, Shocked at this generation of, uh, I was reading a, a story about uh, uh, a school. I think it was called Emory U. And they like set the up school or the book. No, the school is called oh, yeah, Emory, Emory U. University. Yeah, and the there were students who said that they were emotionally damaged from reading 2016 Trump on chalk by people who wrote it with chalk on sidewalks. Like they needed emotional <laughs> counseling. Let me, uh, folks. Okay, now, 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 here's the situation with this. Let me explain this to you. This is a new form, not a new form, but a, a, an accelerated form of warfare that's being used against the truth tellers in the new media. Okay, you say something, or do something, or write something. It, it causes emotional distress. Yeah. Expect. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me carefully, okay? Expect to be sued. These people okay. are offended over simple campaign slogans. But, you know, and, and reading through these quotes, reading through these comments, one of the teachers explained how, you know, uh, they brought up the issue of transgendered people. Um, if a man says he's a woman, they sh- should they have the right to use the woman's bathroom? And what about the other 20 women in that bathroom who might be offended, at, you know, and they, the student saying, oh, that's their problem. They're the racist. Right. It's upside down and backwards. It's twisted around. It's and it's by design. It it, it does go. It, it connects directly to the the um, intentional limiting of communications among people to we'll say the 140 characters on Twitter or the the real inane 
Facebook type of activity, the social media uh, stuff. Now, social media, if used correctly, and this is where Steve and I kind of we have go we we, we got to kind of like we have go arounds a little bit. Oh, I'm never going to be on Facebook. Well, no, and, and I understand that because I would never put my personal information on Facebook ever, ever, ever. However. If used properly as a tool to spread the word, as a media tool, okay, then it's fine. But don't put what you're having for breakfast or where you went or your schedule or your your child's picture on there for crying out loud. Why would you do that? Why? Why? Can't you pick up the phone? Or better yet, can't you just visit that sister you haven't seen in two you know two weeks that lives three doors down from you i mean or whatever go ahead joe i'm sorry and you know talking about the muslim migration and and this ties into ted cruz and this is from the washington examiner cruz pushed for doubling of immigrants raised again and plans published or pushed by gop presidential candidate senator ted cruz under the immigration reform debate in 2013 that would have jumped the number of immigrants including those from muslim nations were raised by trump campaign tuesday under the Cruz plan, yearly legal immigration would have gone from 740,000 uh, to 1.675 million. His idea was to actually help kill the bill, not boost the numbers. And this is from a uh, quote from Laura Ingram. Yep. Uh, she said, I was introducing a whole series of amendments in part to demonstrate the hypocrisy of Democrats. So, for example, the Democrats claimed they were supporting high-tech workers. So I introduced an amendment on that. Every Democrat voted against it which demonstrated that this was all political endeavor for them, and what they were saying was not true. Um, and, you know, we see the racism claims being launched against Trump. For Wait, saying, y- y- can we go back to Glenn Beck for a moment? I, I, oh, yeah. Or is, yeah. That, is, that no, too, is that too far? We can circle that back around. Go ahead. Um, but, you know, there has been recently reported that this administration has approved more immigrants from Muslim nations over the next five years than the entire population of Washington D.C. And Russ Dizdar made a great point uh, at the Hear the Watchman conference on Friday. Why are the nations around Syria and Iraq, the Arab nations who share the same values and belief systems as these people, not taking in any of these refugees? Why are they being herded towards uh, Europe and Western European countries and here in, in the Western United States? And that was, I thought that was just a Repeat great question. Repeat what you just said. And this is something Re- repeat that question. Saying, you know, Saudi Arabia, a huge landmass. You know, you have all these Arab countries that are surrounding Syria. Right. Where are they? Where are they with their humanitarian help? Okay. Instead, they're being pushed towards Europe, towards Western Europe, being poured into the United States. And you're a racist if you say you should. You know, that's not. Uh, uh, that shouldn't be. Well, you know, Ted Cruz even on Fox News today said that they should end the Syrian. Uh, immigration here in the United States, which is something that they've been attacking Trump for, and this goes back to Glenn Beck. Okay, because I, I just wanted, the reason I wanted you to circle back to it is, as you had pointed out, he's bashing Christians for voting Trump because and saying... And saying he's not listening to the to God. To, to, to the, but, but see, here is, okay, here is to me the, the operative word. Now, now, now listen to this statement, and, and Folks, correct me if this is misquoted, but I don't believe it is. Evangelicals have not been listening to their God. Mm-hmm. Now, does that denote um, a, a differentiation yes. here? It, it, if well, as in that same speech, he 
twice that I heard, and I didn't hear the whole speech, but he twice referred to the Book of Mormon. He didn't say anything about the Bible. Right. He didn't say anything about Jesus Christ. Correct. He said the Book of Mormon tells us what time it is. He said something along the lines of, I can change the names in the story, and, you know, it all makes sense. You yes. Change, change yes. the names in the Book of Mormon with uh, what's current, and it all makes sense. And he talked. He called out some of the leadership in the um, in the Mormon Church, and then he went again to quote the Book of Mormon, and followed that by saying, uh, "Evangelicals in the South are not listening to their God." Right, and that that folks, that statement really bothered me. I was up at uh, about four o'clock this morning and uh, looking at a number of different things. That statement really bothered me. By the way, speaking of Things that bother me, I, I, I have a, I have a prayer request. Okay, if I, if I can just have everyone's attention just for a moment. Um, author Maria Canis, a dear lady, just a dear lady, folks. She's. If you go to Amazon, prepare for persecution. Is one of her books. It's a, it's, it's one of the, uh, to me, it's one of like the best books you can ever have. First part of it is. Is you know outlines the problems. The second part gives us inspiration. But um, here's my prayer re- request: Her brother and sister-in-law both were diagnosed with cancer, and their surgeries are scheduled for two weeks apart. Meanwhile, their their son, their son, married a Wiccan, and den- renounced his religion. And this is a young man who, at age seven accepted Jesus Christ and at age 8 asked for an adult Bible and, and it has been s- such a joy and blessing to the family and he's, he's renounced his religion married a Wiccan meanwhile the two parents of uh, of this young man Maria Canisa's brother and sister-in-law have been diagnosed with cancer and their surgeries are two weeks apart please Keep Maria Canise in your prayers, but equally, if not more importantly, please keep her brother and sister-in-law, as well as that young man, in your prayers. Please, she's a dear friend, and she's a dear woman. I just want to throw that out there because, and, and you know what, folks, there's so many people that we've met, and I and, I, and we, Joe and I, both looked in your eyes at the, at the conference. You're struggling. You've got things that. Only God can take care of. Only God can can help. And we want to pray for all of you as well. I mean, really. So, okay. I'll I'll just step back. Um, Hating on on Ted Cruz again. Cruz faces backlash for call to patrol and secure Muslims. Republican presidential candidate Ted Cruz is coming under fire from Democrats and progressive groups for comments he made following the terror attacks in Brussels on Tuesday. Senator Charles Schumer, New York Democrat, expected to be the next Senate Democratic leader, slammed Cruz for saying law enforcement should be allowed to patrol and secure Muslim neighborhoods before they become radicalized. That's not what we do in America. We don't take a race, religion, creed, color, and say we're monitoring everybody. We look for terrorism where it is, and we pursue it relentlessly. That is what we should do, and that is why I believe the administration that is what I believe the administrator, administration is doing, Schumer told the reporters. 
Cruz's comments came hours after a series of attacks and dozens of Bru- killing dozens in Brussels with the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria quickly claiming credit. Texas Republicans said our European allies are now seeing what comes of a toxic mix of migrants who have been infiltrated by terrorists and isolated radical Muslim neighborhoods, adding that the United States must secure the southern border to prevent terrorist infiltration. Now, uh, it goes on to say civil liberty groups immediately pushed back at Cruz saying his plan was akin to discrimination. Credo Action Political Director uh, Murshid Zaid said Cruz and GOP presidential frontrunner Donald Trump are in a race to the bottom to gin up racism-fueled xenophobia. Um, you know, even though there is the, the obvious flip-flopping from Ted Cruz here, uh, we see, you know, he he is facing backlash for saying, you know, patrol and secure Muslims. But what is a country, I mean, you let these people in based on humanitarian reasons, saying that, oh, you know, you know, our foreign policy destroyed their homes and lives, which it did. It played a part. But for something the mainstream media and... Uh, and, and also a reason and an excuse, not a reason, the excuse and justification for the, you know, uh, protesters and, or these people who call themselves protesters who are trying to silence Trump, saying he's racist for not wanting to, uh, for having, you know, more, more intense screening process and or shutting down the southern border. Ted Cruz is saying the same things that he has attacked Donald Trump for saying and went on so far as to call him racist, and as I said earlier, even almost blaming him, falling short of, of saying it's Donald Trump's fault that these attacks in Belgium happened, but saying is it any coincidence of what he said about withdrawing from NATO, uh, and then, you know, this happening a day or two later, is is there a connection? You, you know, I, I don't know if I told you this, show, but yesterday at the, at the when we were at uh, O'Hare Airport, was it yesterday or whatever? Mm-hmm. I was, I spoke with a, a woman who had, who was in Brussels, had a nine hour layover at Brussels airport. Guess what airline she was flying on? American Airlines. And she, she, we, this was random out of the blue at Chicago, uh, Chicago's airport. And we, and I don't, I don't even know how we, um, I don't even know why we started talking. Uh, and she said, yeah, uh, uh, and this is before the terror attacks, but mm-hmm. she was flying on American Airlines, and I'm not making this up, okay? Um, and she was at the, and she said, you know, I, I, she said I sat in the airport for nine hours. Oh, you know, I know because I was kind of squawking about uh, layovers and such, and you know how difficult it is at times to travel. And I'm, and I thought of that woman this morning, and I, and I thought, you know, just one day, the difference in one day. Think about that. That could be any one of us. And folks, it will be, it can be, I shouldn't say will be, but it certainly can be. Because if you're listening to this and you are in America, can I go for a minute or do you have? No, no. okay. We got uh, just four minutes before. Okay. Then then I'll go, I'm going to go for four minutes and I'm going to go quickly because Islam has invaded this country at the hands of the people in power, at the hands of the globalists. The forces of Muhammad have arrived in America and the battle for the heart and soul of America is already in progress. It's a long in progress. A large army of Muslim terrorists are working at their goal. They're, they're, they're going at 
at it like nobody's business. It's nothing less than converting Americans to Islam and turning America into an Islamic state. And sadly, in this battle, the most powerful nation on earth is losing ground because of people like Glenn Beck. Yes, Glenn, I'm talking to you. And because of people like Ted Cruz. Yes, I'm talking to you. And because of anyone in the alternative media and the new media that is facilitating this, I'm talking to you. Over the last generation, America has welcomed the, immig- the, the immigration of Muslims with benign and malignant attend- uh, intentions both. Our historic naivete dictated that we fling, we open up the doors, we open the gates without challenging anybody who's knocking at our entrance. Clueless. These people are clueless to their hidden agendas. And, and we welcome them with open arms, teddy bears and soccer balls and chewing gum. They have no intention of assimilating in this country. The new Islamic invasion, well, I shouldn't say new, the invasion of America is unlike those of the early stages of, of Islam when they conquered most of the world with a sword. They don't have to do that. They're using our laws against us. The Pope said the Arab invasion was a good thing for Europe. Yes, it is. For the globalists, of course. I, I guess my point to that is, you know, what we saw today, is that a good thing, Pope Francis? <laughs> Get the Nerf bat. Where's the Nerf bat? Oh. Knowing, they know that a military assault would prove fruitless. They are attempting to capture our souls by building political influence and beguiling our citizens to convert to Islam. In this event, America's land and resources will automatically fall to them as an added bonus. That's the intent. The Islamic invasion of America began under, well, it began a long time ago, but it really pushed forward under George Bush. It began with our relationship, of course, with Saudi Arabia and the CIA's creation of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. But the, the, the significant, the most significant progress began with Bush and certainly has been expedited under Barack Hussein Obama. Now, let me ask every, each and every one of you hope and change people out there who are probably not listening anyway. Well, maybe. Let me ask every one of you people who thought hope and change would accompany Barack Hussein Obama. When you elected Barack Hussein Obama the second or Barry Satoro, that's his legal name, what did you expect would happen? Because, look, what's being accomplished, the takeover is being accomplished by a large army of activists that have, that have an arsenal consisting of a broad diversity of weapons, folks. Tragically, the most strategic weapons that they possess are the ones we have given them. And we gave them the weapons. These weapons are democratic laws and tolerance for all religions. That's what they are using against us. The coexist bumper stickers, if I see another one, I just might puke. All right. Coexist. You cannot coexist. All roads don't lead to heaven. And tolerance? No. No. We need a big dose of intolerance, folks. And we need it now. We need it yesterday. We are at the top of the hour break, folks. We'll be right back with hour number two, followed by Stan Dayo and hour number three on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Stay with us.
This is the Global Star Radio Network. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, hour number two of this Tuesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are going to be hitting news and, and some of our opinions of the news uh, this hour. I'm going to open up with a story. We're going to have Stan Dale joining us next hour. Uh, we did a live show last Tuesday, um, kind of unplanned, but uh, Stan was not with us. And I have a few questions that well, I want to ask him. Uh, due to uh, some just, to, just to be clear, okay, we did the show, but we were unable because of how we did yeah. it. We were unable to bring anyone else on. Just, to, just so you know that, okay, it wasn't. I mean, right, it was right. kind of twisted. But go on. I want to hit this, and then we're going to get back into some discussion here. Judicial Watch uh, releases today: New Clinton documents raise questions on Benghazi and the Clinton Foundation. Two days after the Benghazi attack. Libyan president sought meeting with Bill Clinton through the Clinton Foundation. Judicial Watch today released a 260 page, uh, 260 pages of international, internal State Department documents revised, uh, also uh, within two days of the deadly terrorist attacks on Benghazi. Mohammed Youssef Al Marjarif said that the president of Libya's National Congress asked to participate in a Clinton Global Initiative function and meet President Clinton. The meeting between Libyan President and Bill Clinton had not previously been disclosed. The documents also show Secretary of State Clinton's staff coordinated with the Clinton Foundation staff to have her thank the Clinton Global Initiative Project sponsors for their commitments during the Foundation speech on September 25, 2009. Judicial Watch documents were obtained as a result of the federal court order in a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit filed against the State Department by Judicial Watch. Now, it goes on to note here that the uh, Dr. uh, Fithi Nua wrote to the Clinton Foundation Director of Foreign Policy, uh, Amitabab Diazi. Don't even even try. I mean, you know... Well, anyways, they're going to say that, you know, they wanted the, the President Clinton to participate at the Clinton Global Initiative meeting for New York and, uh, to meet with Bill Clinton. Uh, this is the, the quote here. Would U.S. government have concerns about Libyan President being invited to, uh, Clinton Global Initiative? Odd timing, I know. Mills emailed back. We would not have issues. Four days later on September 17th, um, Diasi emailed Mills again saying the Libyan president is asking for a meeting with William Jefferson Clinton next week and would you recommend or accepting or declining the meeting the State Department apparently had no objection to the meeting because on on September 26th the emails uh, he Mills writes he had a very good meeting with Libyan uh, with Libya Hillary Clinton and uh, Al Marjarif did not have a meeting until September 24th anyways the email chain including Hillary Clinton's then-Chief of Staff Huma Abedin and Mills, Deputy Chief of Staff for Staff Policy Jake Sullivan, shows that the State Department coordinated with the Clinton Foundation staff on how Mrs. Clinton was to thank the Foundation and supporters and partners for their commitment. Mills asked for a list of uh, commitments during a whole session so she can reference more than those just around her speech. So this goes back to uh, the chain of emails that were... 
uh, and the email scandal in general, uh, with other news coming out that experts say they do not expect any indictment whatsoever in the Clinton email scandal, but they did go on to say that this is going to hurt her politically more so than legally, whatever that means. But um, this lawsuit, the Judicial Watch's FOIA lawsuit, has become particularly noteworthy because it has been reported that the Clinton Foundation, known as the Bill and Hillary and Chelsea Foundation, accepted millions of dollars from at least seven foreign governments while Clinton served as Secretary of State. The Clinton Foundation acknowledged that a $500,000 donation was received from the government of Algeria while Mrs. Clinton served as Secretary of State violated a 2008 ethics agreement between the Foundation and the Obama administration. Some of the foreign governments that have made donations to the Clinton Foundation include Algeria, Kuwait, Qatar, and Oman. 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 And have questionable or, human rights records. We have an Oman about Oman. And there's a full list of documents that can be found at Judicial Watch. But the... Um, I mean, just days after the Benghazi attack, they're setting up um, all, I mean, all these, uh, you know, meetings between themselves, herself, her husband, and the foundation staff to Libyan personnel without knowing the the truth of the matter, still telling the lie that it was based from, the attacks in Benghazi were based from a terrorist uh, or a video, innocence of Muslim, and backlash from that, knowing full well it was a terrorist attack based on the uh, smuggling of arms to the Al-Qaeda in Libya. Hmm. Well, all right. I mean, talking about no, I mean, in bed with the enemy. Yes, well, speaking about being in bed with the enemy, folks, um, here's a couple of things, and if... Um, I'm just going to get right into this because um, I put a lot of thought into this and 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 what we're facing right now. What you see happen happening in in Brussels, what you saw happen in Paris, what you have seen happen all all in Western Europe. That is that look. The Brussels attacks took a long time to plan. Don't tell me some yo-yos strapped. Uh, you know. Turkey uh, President Erdogan warned of these attacks in Brussels four days before the event took place. Also, this is where the last terrorist in the Paris attacks were arrested just days right. before. Now I want to ask you, do you see a connection? Because many in the media are trying to um, uh, make the connection that it was backlash from the arrest of that last Paris terrorist No, no, no. They were going to happen. Well, you know, when you look at a case as investigators, it's interesting because um, they're, we'll say a murder, murder investigation. Oh, there's one motive. It's uh, uh, sex or robbery or whatever it might be. Now, there can be a primary and secondary and tertiary motives behind this. Certainly, the uh, the arrest could very well play into it, but was it their was it their initial motive? No, because the attacks actually preceded, or, or they were planned long before the arrests were made. So don't listen to what these bubbling, blabbering bobbleheads on the evening news are telling you, and the stuffed shirts that you know sit around these panel tables on on, on the. Uh, um, on these political talk shows because they don't have a clue or maybe they do have a clue and they're just spreading disinformation. But what, what is happening here in America? You know, um, we are being fed this, this spoonful, this huge spoonful of, uh, Islam, the moderation, 
moderates, you know, this moderate uh, aspect of of Islam, right? In whenever, inevitably, whenever Islam is mentioned in a negative context, whether it be through the Brussels bombing or Paris or whatever, many, especially in the media, they'll challenge that only a small minority is dangerous. Okay, you hear this coming out of the mouths of these idiots running for office. Let me tell you something. The facts disprove this oversimplified oversimplification. It is the facts fly in the face of it. Islam works as a two-edged sword, folks. One edge is terrorism, and the other edge is a subtle process that leads to complete subjugation of our country. Please understand what I'm saying here. I put a lot of thought and effort into this. The 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 uh, process that leads to Islamization is the latter stage, okay? It's not the let's contrary to the uh to the early uh, growth of islam or the spread of the cult of islam no no this latter stage this latter edge of this two-edged sword is is actually comprised of moderates that wittingly wittingly deliberately work hand in hand with the terrorists already inside america look this okay how it's real simple how it works Terrorists commit acts of terrorism against us. Now, the moment that anybody begin to, begins to investigate the Islamic communities for hidden terror cells and supporters, the moderates and their apologists, the, 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 uh, um, uh, well, insert name here, okay, charge us with religious and racial discrimination. They use our democratic laws against us. They thwart our investigative efforts to defend ourselves. And this opens the door for more terrorists to invade. And this is what we're seeing happening right now. Okay? We've swung open the doors. And Obama is behind this. Again, what in the heck are you expecting with a guy who was raised in Indonesia in a Muslim atmosphere? Is he a Muslim? Is he a Muslim? Who cares? He's a Muslim. I mean, who? Uh, I shouldn't say who cares. Of course, he's a Muslim. Of he's a Muslim in the White House, and you, we put him there. Okay, the investigative efforts to defend ourselves are being thwarted by these by these wussies out there who want to embrace and understand. Who want? These are the same people who. who, who, who well, anyway. Few Americans understand that Islam inherently demands what is called a sacral government. Remember that phrase, sacral government. The vernacular for this is a church-state form of rule. A moderate Muslim does not qualify as a sincere Muslim unless he concurs with the Quran and every Islamic law contained within that book. Fundamentalist Muslims do not consider a Muslim who voices complaints against other Muslims as a true believer. That's why there's silence, cricket stripping in the background. People say, well, you know, uh, crickets. Uh, well, you understand why. This is why there's been an absence of public Muslim protests about the Islamic terrorist crimes that have been perpetrated uh, within our nation. And when you do, and trust me when I tell you this, we have been targeted with threats of violence against us personally and directly. And you know what? 
I don't care. Because if we don't stand up and we don't talk and we don't say, look, this is a bunch of BS and the stuffed shirts behind the microphones at Fox News, at CNN, NBC, NBC, name the initials here. If, if these stuffed shirts don't, don't start telling the truth, then they're going to watch. Well, they are. They just flushed the handle on the toilet that was once called America. And they're never going to tell the truth. We don't have a tolerance problem or an intolerance problem. We have a tolerance problem. We have a tolerance problem in this country. Can I say that again? We do not have an intolerance problem. We have a tolerance problem in this country. Now, the and, and we're seeing it we're seeing it through the this crazy sexual practice this equal rights you see the homosexuals the transgender the lgbt community who openly embrace this uh this this tolerance of everybody are are playing right into the hands of those people who want to slit their throats and watch as their carotid arteries pump the arterial spray against the wall and they're and they're so too stupid to understand it. They need eye salve of God. Let me look, just you know. And I've got and I do have facts to back this up. I mean, look, the research of the Pact of Omar, Christians and Jews being subjugated to a long list of humiliating and degrading rules included in what's known as the Pact of Omar. Mention the Pact of Omar to uh, Glenn Beck, who who views this alien invasion of Muslims and other than Americans or other than Mexicans as a humanitarian crisis. It's not a humanitarian crisis at all. It is a damn invasion of this country by a people who have no, absolutely no desire or intent to assimilate. It's subjugation of Christian and Jews, Christians and Jews. Plain and simple. You don't like my, you don't like me being this forceful? Tough. Change the channel. Go listen to some, some, uh, wimpy dimpy, uh, uh, you know, let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya. But it's about time because now the battle lines have been drawn. You are going to see, ladies and gentlemen, this program right now, we are going to dial it up a notch. You are either with us, well, or you you can just abandon us. But it's about time we need to take a stand because I'm going to tell you something right now. This country is in the fight of its life, but even more importantly, the body of Christ, the body of this church, is in the fight of its life. And we've got too many wimpy pastors, wimpy ministers, people. And I'm not a minister. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a man of God. You know, with a, a man of the cloth. I'm a talk show host at this point, and even that is is in question. I'm just a guy, an investigator, who can see a problem and say, man, we got a big problem right now. And if you think Trump is gonna is gonna be the sole person that's gonna fix this, then God help you. Because you know why? It ain't gonna happen.
You want you want your women, your daughters raped? Is that what you want? Then keep saying, well, we you know we just have to just learn to you know get along and assimilate or they'll assimilate and we have to be more understanding we can't bomb their countries well you have a point there yes yes you have a point there absolutely but that's that's a hand unfortunately folks that we've been dealt well, that's a, that's a hand we've been dealt that's a hand you and me as as the unwashed masses have to deal with all right so if you're sitting in your little hole somewhere in uh, your, your your little uh, you know uh, little uh, hole in uh, Mississippi somewhere yipping and yapping saying this and that about uh, uh, about uh, well as true Christians we need to do this or that well then you know what God help you because I'm certainly not going to. And you know what? We, we've got a real big problem with respect to the people. And I said yesterday during the program, the walls of America have been breached. The walls of the church, I'm not talking about the Catholic Church, I'm not talking about the Protestant Church or any one denomination, have been breached. The enemy is within us. They're walking among us. It's time to identify who the enemy is and to act accordingly. And I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about identification and understanding what their motives are. We're seeing peaceful, we're, we're not seeing peaceful assembly against, for example, Donald Trump. We're seeing violent protests. Have you noticed that Christians rarely demonstrate their displeasure? over religious issues by rioting. How many Christians have you seen riot? <laughs> How many? Yeah, you got a few flakes out there. Antagonists can shout that God is dead. Wayward theologians can write that Jesus was born by a Roman soldier, soldier's bastard, and that he fornicated with Mary Magdalene in adulthood. How many people say, wait, 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 that's wrong. And then burn down the mosque or the building. I don't see any. Now, a lot of what you're referencing now comes from Gnostic texts that were uh, right. tried to be put in as as gospel. Obviously, uh, been proven. You know, their falsehood has been proven as we have the gospel. But the when in the hell are people? Has right. infiltrated since the first century and will continue exactly. to. Exactly. And I love you for saying that because I'm making that distinction. But I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this. There's something virulent about the nature of Islam that incites its inherent adherence to violence. This is not restricted to Arab Muslims. It is inherent in Muslim and Islam itself. And if you want to turn me over to the ACLU or the right wing hate watch or whoever, then do it. And I would wear that. That that, dis, that that characterization with a badge of honor, because you, 
uh, what's that line in the movie? You want the truth, you can't handle the truth, not meaning our audience, but to the people who, who are out there, you know, as wimpy Christians who are saying, well, we can't really stir the pot because we don't want to, you know, we don't want to stir the pot. We don't, we, we want to, we want to appear as, well, we can appear as rational. But as coach Dave Dobbemeyer said so eloquently during that, that, during that conference, which was a resounding success, by the way, Many people finding God and salvation at that conference to the dismay of the people who wanted to take it down. Well, you failed. Jesus won. You failed. Jesus won. And you know what? We are going to fight to the death. We are going to fight to, I'm going to fight to my death to make sure that we just we let, that occupation is not a passive activity that christians to, to the best of my ability we're not going to have christian versus christian and if you want to play that game get the hell out of the sandbox take your bat and ball and go home but you're not going to we are going to be victorious we know how the book ends we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus died for our sins. And again, I am not a pastor, preacher, minister. They wouldn't have me because, uh, no, I shouldn't say they wouldn't have me. They, well, they wouldn't want me, I guess. And frankly, I'm not worthy of that anyway. I'm just a guy. We're just guys investigators. But it doesn't take Dick Tracy to understand we have such a huge problem in this country and it's a spiritual problem, not a political problem. And if you don't understand that we are not going to fix this with 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 politics, if you want to stick to the CPAC answers, you want to stick to the Republican versus Democrat. And I mean this sincerely, may God have mercy on your soul. And by the way, Every day I ask for mercy on mine because I need it. But the bottom line here, the First Amendment is is on life support. The Second Amendment is not far behind. And the church stands by in silence. And the facilitators, the wimpy, ankle-biting facilitators out there are exploiting the problem. And that, folks, concludes my opening statement. We still have a half hour left. <laughs> oh, I can go on. I can go on. I'm kidding. No, but we need to really address this Brussels issue as well. If you think that it's going to it's confined to an American Airlines uh desk in Brussels in the, the airport in the subway system. No, no, because it's going to happen in Nebraska. It's going to happen in uh Missouri. It's going to happen where you least expect it. And those people who recoil in shock and surprise, well, let me tell you something, folks. <laughs> it's going to happen soon. And you know what else is going to happen? The racial divide is being planned right now. Black versus white. And it's it's being funded. And everything you see over the next six months, when the news says, surprise attack, flash riot, flash mob, 
don't believe it. It's being planned right now. We're going to see it. Absolutely. Well, um, what to hit from here? I want to hit this article here. Uh, I, I wanted to cover this with Stan, but just in case we don't get to it, this is out of Yahoo, Yahoo News today. I'm sorry, yesterday. Eccentric Planet HD 2782 has one of the weirdest orbits science has ever seen. Astronomers have spotted a planet with one of the strangest orbital paths ever. It's called HD 2782. Rather than traveling in a nearly circular pattern around its star, like the planets in our solar system, this other planet in a flattened elliptical shape orbit, according to a press release from San Francisco University, the orbital path looks somewhat like a a hula hoop and is is and squashed uh, as astronomers call it an eccentric orbit now dad you can see this uh this uh orbit orbital path i, I can't well this is stand material right? yeah it is and it says it represents a rare opportunity to study a planet with an orbit that is so different from the ones in our solar system the planet's furthest point from the star is about two and a half times the distance from the earth of the sun but its closest approach uh filings is much closer to its star than Mercury is to the sun. It's around the mass of Jupiter, they say, but swinging around the star is like a comet, uh, this astronomer Stephanie Kane said in a statement. Um, they aren't sure what caused this unusual path. When we see a planet like this, it's an eccentric orbit. It can really be hard to explain how it got that way. It's kind of like looking at a murder scene when the people examine blood spatter patterns on a wall you know something bad has happened but you need to figure out what caused it i just want to make i just wait i just this is kind of a side note i did so for everybody because i, I wrote a book called uh stained by blood it is and, and i'm I, i've got certification in the forensic discipline of blood stain analysis it's blood spatter no l yeah. okay and, and you said it correctly i believe but blood spatter just kind of a little trivia for those trivia-minded. Go ahead. Well, let's get back to the terrorist attack in Brussels, and we'll leave that that story for Stan. Terror in the terminal. Chilling footage shows moment passenger cower under desks and run for their lives after a suicide bomb blast rocked Brussels Airport in a series of ISIS attacks that have killed over 34 people. Um, and this is an updated report, so some of the numbers initially have risen. They say at least 14 people were killed after two explosions struck near the check-in desks at Brussels Airport at 8 a.m. Those were American Airlines desks. Report of a firefight between police and attackers seconds before they shouted in Arabic and detonated bombs. And you know what they shouted? Uh, Allah Akbar. Uh, yeah, what? what, what? Not, not, uh, not uh, hail or, or not praise Jesus Christ? <laughs> oh, gee, that's a surprise. No, no, that's not what they shouted. Um and I mean, you know, obviously this is a, a terrible uh, tragedy that's happened here. Uh, many are injured, hundreds are injured uh, in this bloody attack. And they go on to say here, two suspects were arrested a mile from the Malabec metro station around 11 a.m. as hundreds of troops and police flooded the streets of Brussels in the hunt for members of the terror cell. Now, I don't know how many people heard this, but there was an airplane that came from Brussels that landed at Orlando Airport that was stormed by uh, federal officers. The results of that raid on the plane are unreported at this time. But 
for what it's worth, they su- expected or suspected that there was somebody who had something to do or knowledge of this attack in Brussels uh, on a airline that came and landed in Orlando here today, and the uh, feds raided the plane upon the landing. Now, uh, Donald Trump mentioned Brussels two months ago in January and talked about how it's become a hot spot of Islamic... Uh, he called it a hellhole. Yeah, and he said that he, he visited in the 90s, and it was beautiful country, and, um, you know, many people are giving him, actually, in the, in the news, I saw a quick two-minute clip from The View uh, that somebody had posted on, on the Internet where they were... Uh, <laughs> the title was... Uh, for hell is frozen over. Uh, ladies on the View agree with Donald Trump, but um, it was interesting to see, you know, uh, them turning around and actually giving him credit for it. But the bombing came just days after the Belgium interior minister warned of possible revenge attack. As I said earlier, uh, Erdogan, the president of Turkey, warned of a Belgium terrorist attack himself days before the event happened. Um, speaking today, Belgian Prime Minister Charles Michael said that we. What we feared has happened. In this time of tragedy, this black moment for our country, I appeal to everyone to remain calm and slow and to show solidarity. Terror gripped the airport around 7 a.m. local time as passengers checked in their bags and prepared to board flights. Photographs from inside the arrival hall showed the floor covered in fallen tiles and dust bloodied from people hobbling out of the airport. Others injured were photographed lying on the floor. Video showed terrified passengers running for their lives out of the building. Firefighters entered the terminal. The search for survivors are said to have found a third unexploded device, while armed police in protective clothing combed the building for more wounded travelers and suspected and suspicious bags. Uh, the British Foreign Office today confirmed two Britons were injured in the explosions, while three American missionaries were believed to have been seriously hurt. A Foreign Office spokesman uh, said, "Embassy staff are providing uh, consular, I'm sorry, consular assistance to two injured Britons and are ready to support any further British nationals that have been affected." Uh, a Belgian TV station is reporting that at least one of the bombs in the Brussels airport contained nails. And again, one of the explosive devices were found and were not detonated. Um, there was a third bomb that uh, ripped through the Melbeck metro station, killing 20 more people. That was in a subway uh, separate from the airport uh, bombings. At 11 a.m., Belgian prosecutor uh, Fernandad Van Leeuw confirmed that three, atta- that three explosions were terror attacks. And two suspects were arrested one mile away from the metro station, and a uh, Kalinizhov and unexploded suicide bomb vest were found in the rubble at the airport. So it goes on to say uh, there was a first blast, and then 10 seconds later, a second explosion. This was in the airport, and the ceiling went down. It was just 30 meters from where I was, one witness said. Um, and again, so after those two explosions, initial explosions at the airport, uh, there was a third explosion in a subway station uh, there in in uh, Brussels. So, um, you know, where do we go from here? They're in t- in increasing the security at major airports across the United States. There has been a evacuation at part of the Denver Inter- International Airport, um, as well as heightened security in, in areas like Washington, D.C., L.A., and New York City. Uh, not only at the airports, but at the train stations and bus stations. Now, um, 
Well, is this the end of, of the... Wait a second, Joe. Wait a second, okay. So so let me get this straight. We, as Caucasian American Christians, can go to the airport. We get groped. We get prodded. We get nuked. We get humiliated, degraded. We get treated like concentration camp. Uh, uh, you know, we're headed off to some concentration camp. And, and, and these idiot TSA goons out there, these... these these effeminate, uh, you know, people that that are no better than Walmart greeters, okay, or that have no no other, um, I mean, really no other training than Walmart greeters. They take your wife and they take her aside and swab her for explosives. Well, what the hell happened in Brussels where they didn't swab this idiot for explosives? Where and and, and are these idiots plural? Okay, what I don't is think it? They got through security. And, and did you know, uh, in certain countries in the European Union, they cannot conduct raids after 5 p.m., okay, um, legit, and I'm not talking, folks, I'm not talking about Nazi-esque, you know, militarized police, anti-constitutional stuff here in America. I'm talking about reasonable stuff in Europe. Did you know that after 5 p.m. they can't do that? They cannot, uh, in certain countries, they cannot uh, uh, conduct a police raid of suspected Islamic terrorists uh, in uh, after 5 p.m. How crazy is that? Meanwhile, our wives, our daughters, the very people you love and you watch as you sit there in the airport and say nothing, as, as I try to, you know, above a whispered yell, saying, you know, who's going to join me? And everyone walks away being feeling embarrassed like wimps. And we're, you know, I don't want to cause a scene. No, go ahead. Don't, don't don't cause a scene. Don't say a damn thing. We need to bankrupt the airlines because this did happen uh, at an airport, and it's going to happen at an airport here in this country. The bottom line, folks, again, we are being gamed. We are being groomed and conditioned and programmed to accept this. The, this we are being subjugated. The boot. This jack, the, the boot of the jackbooted thugs. They, they want you to lick, they want us to lick their boots. They, uh, okay, uh, and, and don't, don't, don't mention, don't mention Islam. Don't mention, uh, the, the motivation behind these attacks. The motivation behind these attacks, it, it's a doctrine of demons. It's a spirit of the Antichrist. But you can't tell that to people. You can't tell that. You can't be, otherwise, otherwise you, you, you're being in, intolerant. Well, again, I go back to the state. We we don't have a, a problem with intolerance. We have a problem with tolerance. It's too much of it. We tolerate too much. And you know what? I'm convinced, absolutely 100% convinced of the fact that there is very few Christians in this country are going to rise up, stand up, and say, no, not today, not with me, not now, not ever. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So the people listening to this program, you know, we all have to band together. And and this since this did happen in Brussels at a train station, and you know the AK-47 Kalashnikov rifles found and the explosives found, okay, a metal detector would have would have found that stuff, but profiling would have found that. Let's bring back profiling. Let's bring back stuff that works. Don't fondle my girlfriend's hair, and certainly don't fondle my daughter. Okay, if you're at the T- at the TSA. Let, let's start addressing the problem. Let's not get political, or let's not maintain political correctness here. Let's break political correctness in half. And, and if you're not, if you, if it doesn't anger you to watch your daughter, your wife, your aunt, your mother, somebody in a wheelchair, I watched an, it must have been an 80 year old woman in a wheelchair taking, halfway taking her wheelchair apart at the airport. Okay, and if we are going to allow the TSA to do this, and this is what happens. See, we look at Brussels and we all go, oh, my gosh, oh, no, oh, no. You know, at least the uh, 
at least the uh, uh, idiots on the on the, in the mainstream media do this, and and the big talkers afraid to offend the very people who we are at war with. Why? Because of the almighty dollar sponsorship and, and because of the fact that they don't have a Christian foundation for what they're talking about. But we as Christians better man up, wise up, and start acting up. When I say act up, I mean act on behalf of what was is right, the righteous. Because we are fighting a doctrine of the demonic. If you look at who all of Islam is, and see all of this, all of this conversation about Brussels, it all comes down to one thing. Paris, one thing. What is that one thing? It's Islam. It's Islam, the cult of Islam. It's the spawn of Satan. It's a cult. Don't tell me. Don't tell me it's a Christian. Don't tell me it's a Baptist, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever. But see, the bottom line here, what is the bottom line? The bottom line, and let's never forget this. Let's never forget this. They want to outlaw all monotheistic religions. That includes Christianity, especially Christianity and Judaism, and built an infrastructure, the state government, on Islam. Why? Because Islam, as Peter Lavenda told you, and as others have told you, they are weaponizing Islam to subjugate you, your families, and you, the future generations to this, to, to, to this doctrine of, of the demonic. And if I get censored or censured because of this, then so be it. Because somebody needs to start speaking the truth and say, look, this is, this is the bottom line. This is the architecture for this new state religion, the new world order religion. Anyone familiar with the Bible that reads the, the Quran and has read the Quran and the Hadith, you can discern that Muhammad was familiar with Judaism and Christianity and that he that he plagiarized the Bible he plagiarized the Bible Muhammad made self-aggrandizing claim that he was Allah's final messenger with divine insights and anointing that eclipsed those of his predecessors he claimed himself to be God and relegated Jesus Christ to nothing but a prophet and that's what modern Muslims do today and I don't care if you're a moderate Muslim or if you're a fundamentalist Muslim, that's what's going on today. And that's the problem. Behind all the smoke of the explosions, behind the nails from the backpacks, behind the bullets of the Kalashnikovs, that's the problem. Did I interrupt you? No, you didn't. I forgot. <laughs> Actually, my train of thought. But, um, you know, there's an article up on CNBC right now. Why still terrorists after all that security uh, money spent? And it goes on to say, last holiday season, New York-based private investigator and security consultant Bill Stanton went to see Radio City Music Hall's famed Christmas Spectacular show, which draws thousands of people every day to Manhattan's already busy Midtown neighborhood. Stanton had a loaded semi-automatic pistol, which he was licensed to carry, strapped to his ankle holster. The ex-New York cop also had an extra magazine for the gun, containing additional rounds of ammunition on his belt. And it goes on to say that the security guard stopped him, waved a wand, a metal detecting wand around him, and they did not, he says that Stanton said the guard didn't check his ankles. Anyway, he got through security with all of his weapons. Um, and which, you know, uh, begs the question, what are, um, the, the 50 or 75 CCTVs, uh, that were monitoring the Belgian airport, uh, or the, the airport in Brussels there? What, what, 
uh, effect did they have? What effect did the security that, you know, is was around and in and around the airport and the subway system? Yeah, and that's what this article goes on to say. You know, $650 billion has been spent on Homeland Security uh, after the 9-11 attacks to beef up protection, among other things, at airports, train stations, sports stadiums, and other places that draw large crowds. But, you know, the stories of like these of this private investigator, Stanton, were, failed to uh, show the failure of the security, not only at airports, but at other venues all across the country. What was a last year we read a stat, like 95% of weapons get through the TSA body scanners? Well, you, you got 73 terrorists working for the TSA. Good job. Yeah. Good job. I, I think I met two of them on, on this last trip to Dallas. Yeah, and not only that, you know, they come complacent in their jobs and, um, you know, they do what they're, they're trained to do instead of, like you said, regardless of what people might think, the profiling is a major aspect of uh, behavioral analysis for possible terrorists. And it is racist to profile, unless you're in New York City, then the stop and frisk profiling is okay. But, uh, which, again, Ted Cruz came out in, in big support of today. Um, but wait, wait, you know, wait, wait! I'm surprised. Hang on a second. <sighs> okay, I just had to, I had to regain my composure. I, I that surprises me. Ted Cruz embraces Bloomberg era New York values on surveillance. Uh huh. Yeah, Ted Cruz embraces New York uh, Bloomberg era New York values on surveillance. Okay, praising you- Bloomberg for his not only increase of surveillance cameras, but the stop and frisk policies that he implemented to. Uh, Secure and uh, so the hell with the Fourth Amendment and Fifth Amendment. Uh, the heck with that, right? Well, we don't need that. And you understand the security in Lower Manhattan. If you've ever been to the Water Street Building, the the, the cameras there's cameras in there covering every square inch of Lower Manhattan. Of course, that's the Federal Reserve, Wall Street. You got that right. You understand that the DHS, the CIA, the FBI, and all the major banks have the security in Lower Manhattan. The banks, if you walk into the building. If you're lucky to do that, if if you have the either the friend that'll kind of let you see, there's rows of computer uh, stations, and one row is the FBI, another row row is the NYPD, and then you've got DHS, and then you've got the banks. I'm talking when I say banks, I'm talking about like you know, First National Bank, Citibank. I'm talking about you know the brokerage houses. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that? Next to each other, sharing information. We live truly. George L. Orwell was not only right, but he was, well, he was wrong because it's worse than Orwell <laughs> predicted. Listen to this. In the wake of the Tuesday bombings in the Belgian capital, UK independence party leaders have issued a statement claiming that the only way to protect Britain from a similar fate is to spend uh, the Schengen Agreement and reestablish border control. Prime Minister David Cameron immediately deemed these remarks as offensive, lashing out at the UKIP for using Brussels attacks to make a case for Brexit. Or Brexit. It all comes in a time when Europe is largely divided over the migrant crisis. Could jihadists be crossing into Europe from Syria and other hotbeds unnoticed? Can Europe handle more migrants if it can't deal with homegrown terror? And was this a case of homegrown terror? I doubt it. No, no, th- this is orchestrated. You, you gotta understand, okay? 
They can't weaponize Judaism. They can't weaponize Christianity. They've weaponized Islam. Do you, folks, please understand, they've taken Islam because Islam is a cult, because Islam worship, because, and there's no other way to say this. You can't say this nicely. Islam really is, 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 is a cult. So they can weaponize it, they can take the fundamentalists, and they can take the people most pliable, they can tell them, hey, you've got your, you've got your reward, uh, via Allah, and here's what you need to do. You need to go out there, kill the infidel, that's, it gives you a few notches on your spiritual belt, you go up there, you enjoy the fruits of, of your earthly, uh, carnage. And that's what they're teaching these people, but, but who's teaching them? Who's behind this? It's the criminal cabal of this government, and I know, I know this is hard for people to swallow, but, but it's the Hillary, Diane, Rodham, Clinton, uh, the, 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 the Barack Hussein, Obama, again, what don't people understand about the middle name Hussein? Okay. I'm, if that sounds bigoted, so be it. You got what you wanted. Deal with it. You know, the president next month is scheduled to go to Saudi Arabia. Not only to go to what, Saudi to get, to Arabia, get his check, to pick up his check, or what? Four U.S. senators meet with Saudi King uh, Solomon ahead of the Obama visit. Saudi Arabia officials, news agency, agency says King Solomon has met with U.S. congressional delegation ahead of Barack Obama's scheduled visit next month. The Saudi press agency says the delegation was led by ranking Senate Foreign Relations Committee member Ben Cardin, a Democrat from. Uh, Democrat included Democratic uh, Senator Ed Markey and Massa- of Massachusetts and Republican uh, Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado and Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon. SPA says Saudi Crown Prince and Interior Minister Mohammed Ben Naif and Foreign Minister also attended Monday's meeting. On Sunday, the senators met with Doha and Qatar's ruler, Qatar's ruler, uh, Mr. Tamim. And it goes on to say, Obama is due to visit Saudi Arabia on April 21st and attend the Gulf Cooperation Council Summit. The GCC includes Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Kuwait, and United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Oman. Um, and I wanted, uh, oh goodness, it's something, <laughs> second time this slipped my mind. Um, the president meeting in, in Cuba, uh, with Fidel Castro spent 51 seconds addressing the terrorist attack today. Um, Going over to Saudi Arabia, the uh, Bush-Saudi connection, as Bush and the leadership of Saudi Arabia were just as tight as the, uh, you know, Bush and his father were, and from Prescott Bush down to George Bush Sr. to the latest uh, George uh, Bush presidency, all had their, you know, the last Bush president had and started his business with the Osama bin Laden family down in Texas in an oil field. The Carlisle Group, George Bush Sr. I've got two two notebooks, two notebooks in my office filled with that information. And and folks, if if you want, someday we'll have a program on it because the connections are there. And, as you know, Eric the Tech said to Joe and I, guys, got to take it to the George Bush Library. And we went there. Mm-hmm. Nice place. 
In fact, I have my picture. Eric took my you know, picture sitting behind the Oval Office, or the uh, Georgia, or the, uh, the replica uh, Oval Office. Yes, thank and that you. was one that of the, the neat things about that place was they had a replica of the Oval Office. That's one one legitimate part of that music. Legit- the there's a key word, legitimate. That uh, I mean, it was. Just a joke. They had the list of accompl like they had rooms of accomplishments of of the Bush presidency. One of them being Katrina. One of them being nine eleven. Mission one of accomplished, them being no guys. Left behind. All disasters of domestic policy in both the educational system. Uh, we even sat down and were able to take uh, take a uh, four minute. It was basically a, a crash course decision making. If you were the president, what would you do on the on the uh, economic uh, emergency of 2008. Yeah, I, I, and we they all didn't have any We all to do. clicked opposite of of what the what President Bush actually did, which was letting the the uh, institutions fail that caused the collapse in the first place, instead of bail, using taxpayer money to bail them out. The people in that room when we took that uh, test, which was about what 25 people, or did that did that run through. Um, was everybody smarter than when the, than the president and the people behind his decision? You know what? Here's why: because the politicians, the people inside the Beltway, they don't give a darn about you and I. They don't care about you and I. They care about their banking friends. Ted Cruz cares about the Council on Foreign Relations and his friends. You listen to Ted. You listen. You listen to uh, Paul McGuire. You listen to the people who know the Cruz. You know his connections. Okay, it's the same old, same old. The money follow the money and where does the money go not in your pocket not in my pocket but in the pocket of the wall street bankers and i want to ask you this is it any coincidence that today is 322 yeah well no there are no coincidences in this <laughs> we gotta get three, that piece two, two. right in brussels 322 do you think that means anything skull and bones 322 spring equinox yesterday yeah blood sacrifices R- R- Randy Conway's, God bless you. Oh, sent yeah, this thank real you, Randy. Quick. Uh, you, his, his zeal. There, there's a, a product he has out there. It's called Zeal. It is uh, full of, of vitamins. It's a it's a, a daily. Uh, uh, multi, I would call it a multivitamin drink, and more, much more than that. Uh, my wife absolutely loves the the product, uh, and he just sent us some. Thank you, Mister Conway. Uh, I will be calling you at some point this week. Well, it, it's it's not. It's not Kool-Aid, uh, Joe. Uh, no. Randy sent this, and, and, and I'm going to read this real quick here. Uh, is it too late? Now, Randy Conway is our resident poet, and, and he's a great guy. But this strikes right at the core of what we're talking about. Is it too late? Uh-huh. I have too many drunk the Kool-Aid. Is it too late for America to be saved? Are there any real men left who are willing to fight? Has political correctness succeeded in making the wrong seem right? Do any hear the words of truth or listen to what the watchmen say? Are any aware of what is happening at home or around the world today? How many are obsessed with the triviality coming from the Hollywood cesspool? Are we finished as a nation because we are now a nation of fools? As the old men die and are no more, the youth have no knowledge of the days of yore. 
Has righteousness been diminished with the passing of each generation? Have we reached the point where righteousness is gone? And in in its place, desecration. Desecration of the value of life. The, The desecration of God's ultimate sacrifice. Will we have elections to vote in a new king of fools to a fool's paradise? The Kool-Aid is sweet. But has it diluted the minds of men so that men have no conscience and celebrate their sin? Who mixes this deadly poison and passes it out for all to drink? What prompts a man to swallow this swill so that he can no longer think? Have too many drunk the Kool-Aid? Is it too late for mankind to be saved? Randy Conway, thank you. Yeah, absolutely uh, fantastic there. And again, uh, check out his his product, Zeal, um, as he has sent us some again. And Randy, we uh, thank you. My wife thanks you. And uh, it's just fantastic, uh, a fantastic uh, product. Coming up in in the uh, next hour as we're drawing to a close of this one, Standale from Standale.com and I'm going to skip over here on the website and see what he has uh, up the pipeline for tonight. As we went uh, a week without him, as we were traveling in Dallas last week um, and did a show and did not have the capability uh, to to bring him on. But, uh, okay. Yeah, he's got some, some new stuff. If you go to standeo.com and go to the show images side, you can pull that up and see what he's got ready to, to talk about tonight. Uh Stone rings in the Golan Heights, um, the Earth's gravitational geoid animated. Don't know what that is, but definitely interested in uh, hearing his explanation. Garden of Eden with North Pole uh, and connected to Atlantis plane with North Pole, uh, and amongst other things, uh, the stone rings of the Kako Canyon and actual Stonehenge today similarities between Atlantis and Stonehenge and much more and it looks like one of the common themes here is Atlantis which is always a fun subject to talk about uh, because we know very little uh, factual information about it most, but most of what we know about it is, is myth or is other people's uh, opinions and interpretations of, of that land once uh, whether real or fabricated in, in old phil- philosophical workings but Standea will be joining us just coming up here. And if you're late joining us, we are live. Today is Tuesday. And uh, we've been talking about the the Arab invasion of the Western European countries, not only in Europe, but also here in America. Again, quoting the Pope, the Arab invasion is a good thing for cultural diversity for Europe. Said that about three weeks ago to a month ago. Um also, other news, I believe that there are some primaries coming up in Arizona and Utah. And we will talk with Stan Dale on the other side uh, of this Hagman and Hagman report today, Tuesday. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network.
Tuesday. You know, it's Tuesdays with Stan, Stan Dale from standale.com, uh, one of our favorite guests every Tuesday right here on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Before we get to Stan, let me ask you a question, folks. Are you sick? Are you sick of being stressed, overwhelmed, and unmotivated? <laughs> Who isn't, right? Do you feel like life is running you instead of running your, you running your life? Well, you're not alone. Finally, folks, you can experience the scientifically proven powers of music therapy with whole tones. We talked about this at the conference. That's whole tones. Um, you're, and finally, you can experience the scientifically proven powers of music therapy with whole yeah, tones. Michael Terrell, uh, I believe it was the first of the month. He was on our show Tuesday, uh, a couple of thir- Tuesdays ago, before, uh, uh, right before Stan, the first two hours. And uh, he came on to explain his whole tones, how they work, the healing properties of the uh, coach, da- uh, coach, <laughs> the King David uh, uh, music that are back to the uh, biblical frequencies used in the Bible, and how they're different from today, and what those frequencies <coughs> and how they affect the uh, the people, both physically, mentally. And the not only that, but we expanded into other areas of discussion about how frequencies can affect mood, how they can affect, you know, your emotions, how they can affect so much that we never really think about, and their healing properties. Right, and at Whole Tones Live, they've got a collection of proven music therapy that can help reduce stress, ease your mind, motivate you. You can get started today, folks, and listen to a free sample of this amazing music that heals and inspires at WholeTonesLive.com. That's W-H-O-L-E, WholeTonesLive.com. One of many happy Whole Tones clients said, and I quote, I stopped or I started playing whole tones um, throughout my work day. Not only was I more creative, motivated, and motivated, the work I was doing seemed easier and clearer. We found the same to be true here. And uh, I just want everyone to go to the website, download a free sample at wholetoneslive.com. Support this broadcast. Support the Hagman and Hagman Show. Go to wholetoneslive.com. That's wholetones, as in W-H-O-L-E, wholetoneslive.com. Welcome, Stan. Good evening, guys. I was just talking to you just before the show about your trip to Dallas and uh, feeling a little bit homesick for my hometown, but um, I'm glad you got to go there and uh, go to the convention. Good to it have was, you back. It was fun. Yeah, I was glad to be back, and uh, it's just so great, great, great to have you. I missed you last week. Uh, of course, we were, our shows were, were, we were on hiatus, if you will, so, uh, so it was great to have you back. A lot of stuff going on. Where do you want to start? I- well, I guess the current thing is a thing in Brussels, just a bit about, I'm sure the airwaves and the print media are full of it at the moment, but um, Holly and I have been watching it uh, through the day and uh, reading some of the reports. Um, it's rather gruesome, some of the stuff that uh, is being reported by survivors who were sitting in a room or in the airport there or whether they were, you know, in the subway system or whatever, but uh, the railway system, they uh, would be sitting there and the bomb goes off and people, parts of people go flying past them, not people, but they were absolutely ripped apart by the sheer force of the blast. And I was thinking how how enormous that would be to be in the middle of something like that, how you know, psychologically devastating it would be to have that burned into your memory. Um, uh, a blast that strong would probably break eardrums and, you know, blow out glass and stuff, but I mean, it's just kind of hard to conceive that. And 
from our distance here, you know, across the pond from all this, it's, oh yeah, it happened over there in Brussels. That's, that's really sad. But a lot of people have not put two and two together and realizing these are kind of like small test runs before they get over here and do it to us. They're going to hit us again and they're going to hit us in suburbia, you know, in places we don't expect it. Uh, maybe with large crowds to, to get more bang for the buck, but that's what I see out of that Brussels thing. It's uh, it's on for one and all. It's going to escalate horrifically, I reckon. It's coming. It's you know, it's coming to America. People, Stan, I'm convinced. And the first couple or the first uh, couple of hours, I I had a uh, I, I don't want to say a rant, but you know, people don't understand. People just don't understand. The lateness of the hour—it's coming here. What you see in Brussels is going to happen. It's going to happen. Well, it's gonna, it can happen anywhere. It can happen in Atlanta. It could happen in wherever. Just insert the name of the city here. And you know, I mean, how many more times do we have to warn people about this? It's coming. It's coming. A lot. We're going to have to lot, warn people a lot more. Looking at this article from Infowars.com, Clinton, Hillary Clinton calls for cl- calls closing borders unrealistic, but exempted Muslim Brotherhood from TSA screening. Clinton State <laughs> Department stopped TSA screening from Al Qaeda linked group. So you know when you have that the the people who are are sworn to protect us, who are paid by our tax dollars to look out for our best interests, they are the ones not only. Um, you know, offering assistance, weapons, and support to these people. They are bringing them into the country knowingly being affiliated with terrorist groups. That makes the battle that much harder. Oh, I know. I know. I, I just uh, do not understand the the policies of uh, Sanders or of uh, Clinton. I mean, they, they are so obviously dedicated to the overthrow of the United States, you know, perhaps an underhanded move to do so, but that's what they're doing, and now it's becoming even more and more obvious that they're trying to do everything they can to to make us defenseless and invite in our enemies and, you know, bring us down. I mean, what, look at what they have done to us, you know, not just Democrats, but mainly them. Um, the the country has been losing uh, trade to, to, uh, to China, to Europe. Uh, they've looted some of our best people here, paying them more money they can get here and taking them out of the country. They've taken our patents and things, just stolen them and made products and improved the things, admittedly in some cases. But they've they've not paid any royalties to people over here. Um, they've you know taken our biggest best companies, you know, Apple in China and uh, car manufacturers in Mexico. You know, it, they've just been systematically looting us of anything of value, from people to things. And once they've done that, the only thing that they need to do is shut the people down over here because we're a nuisance. We're useless consumers as far as they're concerned. And, uh, you know, since we use six or seven times the energy per capita compared to the rest of the people of the earth in our, you know, our pleasant lifestyle, which, you know, we have everything, uh, it's an easy thing to sell to the rest of the world, and America's got to come down, got to be put in its place. And they just do not realize that when they do that, they're going to be cutting off all the aid, the foreign aid and assistance we give overseas, all the policing actions that we've done for other countries when we didn't need to, didn't have to. Um, it's it's like in the Revelation when, when, when Babylon falls. I mean, you know, the merchants of the world are going to cry when America falls. Um, 
you know, people are going to realize that they're going to miss us. You know, we may be doing a lot of things that are incorrect because of our crazy administration at the top, but the people of America are the good souls of the planet still. And, oh, we're being, the good souls of America, we're being misled uh, into spending a lot of time in the election process, you know, the caucuses and, the, you know, the endless debates and, and analyses on the networks with the various uh, candidates and, uh, you know, the, the newest TV shows and stuff, everything they can do to make us not pay attention to us being, as a country, raped, being just destroyed. Um, that, you know, you said that, uh, Doug and, and, and Joe, as well, that uh, you're amazed at how many people just aren't paying attention, and they're just being blinded, being distracted like magicians at their home, trying to keep our, our mind on something unimportant while the real deal happens. Um, ISIS, ISIS, you know, I, I look at ISIS as not a country, obviously, but as a, a group of affiliated people, a, a community of bad guys, right? And uh, in, in Daniel 11.23, it talks about the Antichrist of this time. And, um, you know, he's the prince of the covenant and everything. And in 11.23, it says, and after the agreement made with him, you know, over the covenant, he will work deceitfully. For he shall come up and shall become very strong with a small people. Now, that's with a, a, a small number of people in common association, common thought. Not so much a country, but a people. And I tell you, I think uh, the Antichrist of this age will become very strong when he defeats ISIS. They are people that are a nuisance not only to the United States, to Europe, to other Muslim countries. They are a nuisance worldwide. They are a threat worldwide. So the the individual that solves that problem, puts them, you know, contains them, is going to be a hero. And with the help of them, he's going to gain power, perhaps the United Nations or the New World Government, whatever they're calling it. And I just see these things forming right before our eyes. Uh, I still wonder if we're even going to be uh, allowed to have the November elections for president here. Uh, whether all the candidates will live to go to, to the election process or whether uh, the president will declare a state of emergency over something in the Middle East or the, the wounding or assassination of one of the candidates. I mean, something I just feel is going to happen to prevent us being able to have uh, a presidential election this year. Anyway, I... I, I, I natter on. I'm on my... So, on well, 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 no, I... I Stan, so you're thinking that perhaps, okay, just to be clear, I mean, your, your instincts and guts based, or your instinct based on your research and the assessment of headlines and such, you're questioning whether we're going to have elections this year. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, as, my, I know, as my dad, as my dad used to say about instinct, he says, my instincts, but it doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> I, I got that. <laughs> uh, That's a little bit of humor there for you. Uh, but but you, you know something? I, 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 you know, I, I believe we're, we're a captured nation, captured from within. And and my question, I guess, would be why go right to the obvious, the overt? Hey, you know, we've actually captured you, ha ha ha. Versus putting slipping the other person in, but. You know, I, I'm very troubled uh, when I hear people of your stature 
and I'm not. I mean, uh, truly, I'm, I'm. I'm being. I'm being honest, and, and I and I respect your assessments, and I respect you. When I hear people, yourself and others like you say that, that I start paying attention, and, and you know, um, wow. I mean, don't you think, though, Stan, that we'd have. Would there would that be enough to cause anyone to get off the couch? You know, if if elections were stopped, they, oh, would, yeah. would it be? A, uh, okay. Yeah, it'll, it'll start. What what'll happen will be um, extremist groups, um, whether white, black, uh, Muslim, or whatever, will take action. We've got enough armed uh, groups around here that are extremes, and uh, something will happen, and it will start a cascading effect through uh, the states and. Uh, I think that when that happens, there will be a lot of people become more cautious of getting outside and going and doing shopping. The economy will suffer greatly, and there will be roving tribes and gangs form. And this will require that martial law be declared to put things in order. And it'll get even worse then. I really believe that we're going to rip ourselves apart in a multi-sided, multifaceted civil war. And uh, once we're a house divided in this precarious time we're doomed we're going to fall it could be as i mean that 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 quickly that i mean this is so really right now from now until november i mean so what you're saying really basically is this is a really precarious time i mean yeah yeah as if we didn't know that but but wow okay uh, you know, and so many people still are not paying attention to the news. You know, it leaps at them. Even if they do see the news, the highlights of it on TV or in the local newspaper, if anybody buys them anymore, they will say, oh, yeah, that was yesterday's problem. What's, what's happening tomorrow? And they will go on um, with their peaceful lives, thinking that, okay, that's that was yesterday's problem, and uh, it didn't get me, so, you know, life is normal and life is good. And they will ignore this. They won't dwell on it for several days or even a week or two running. You and I, Joe and others like us, we we live this stuff. So, you know, it's our job to try to wake people up and say, look, think about this issue for a couple of days, maybe three days, instead of just one and then dismiss it. Don't let it fade like the news cycle. Um, you know, and so people say, yeah, okay, so what can you do about it? Since we can't do anything about it, we're going to ignore it. That's not a solution. But that's what we're seeing. That's just what we're seeing. Uh, well, well, you know, let, let me ask. I mean, conversationally here, um, aside from being immersed in the word, and I, and I know it, we we know how the story ends. Um, uh, how do you deal with this? Because we, we, I hear from a lot of people who are alone in apartments and mobile homes, and or, or just alone, you know, who, who who have family who think that they're nuts, you know. And I and I looked a lot of people in the eyes this conference, and I could I could tell the loneliness and and, and the hurt, and and I mean it it just it ripped me apart, Stan. I mean. And I had one lady say, you know, I'm here by myself. My husband doesn't believe me. He thinks I'm nuts. He thinks I'm involved in some cult. Oh, boy. You know, I mean, how do you, how do you deal with that, Stan? I mean... Well, look, Holly and I deal with it differently because we don't see that many people outside of our immediate neighbors. And they 
they tolerate us. Uh, we don't, uh, as long as we don't get on a soap wagon, a soapbox, and pound it down their throats, they they know that we're kind of eccentric in that way. But uh, since we don't beat it you know, on the table with them, um, you know, they they let us be part of their social cycle. You know, but uh, uh, if we had to deal with our our families. Uh, you know, which they all live so far away, it doesn't happen. But I'm sure most of them uh, in our media family are pretty aware and uh, are Christian. So we're not totally alone in that uh, respect. Um, my family, I'm pretty sure, are uh, aware. And uh, um, children and their spouses and stuff like that, okay, that's not too happy. I mean, we know that the spouses are from other families and disciplines. And um, so, yeah. Uh, they may have a bit of loneliness in that respect. Uh, I, I know my son Nathan down in Australia feels that way at times. But if, for people here who are alone, uh, you know, have no one to talk to and are treated as outcasts by their family and friends, look, understand that before they afflicted you, they afflicted our Messiah, and he dealt with even harsher terms uh, than than we're dealing with. He, you know, he's killed on the cross for it and uh, beaten, and uh, so we have to kind of buckle up and deal with it and say, okay, we might feel like we're alone human-wise, but, you know, spiritually, we're a member of a very elite group of people on the planet who love the Lord and know what's happening, and I've read the end of the book, and we do have a duty to not sit and feel sorry for ourselves, but to get out there and help those around us to see what's happening and then offer the solution to their fears, which will obviously surface if they pay attention. I... Holly and I occasionally feel that uh, that aloneness, and when we do, it's you know, aloneness from the world, and we look at each other and say, hey, you and me, babe, you and me, and the Lord. Amen to that. And that's the attitude, you know, a uh, couple should have, married couple should have. Uh, you know, it's sad, but it's true. So many people are feeling abandoned, feeling alone, isolated, because of their beliefs, and many, you know, uh, the people I'm speaking of are, are on fire for the Lord, but uh, as my dad said earlier, are are marginalized to the point of being called in a cult, or you know that they're <clears throat> taking it too seriously or going too far with it. And uh, it is just—it's very sad. Um, Stan, we can uh, let's move on to to what you have here on your your show images page. And folks, go to standeo.com. Uh, scroll down a little bit on the right-hand side underneath the YouTube banner. Next to the microphone is a link to Stan's show images. And uh, I was just playing around here. You had the, the first two on your page, the Earth's Gravitational uh, Geoid Animated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you want to start there, Stan, but uh, can you kind of explain okay. what that is? Because yeah. that, that yeah, looks yeah, kind of funny. Look, I, it, uh, another week or two has gone by, and I've gotten my fair share of the Earth is flat emails. And uh, one guy sent me a thing, in fact, two or three sent me the same thing, uh, talking about a lifeguard uh, 16, 18 years ago, had a, a job in uh, Ventura, California, on the coast, and he was a lifeguard, and he sat up in his lifeguard tower, and he could see about 18 miles away out in the ocean there a, a little island, and it's an arch island. And he could see that, and according to... The formulas for the curvature of the Earth, you calculate the horizon, how far you can see. You shouldn't be able to see 18 miles away, but yet he could see the little arch uh, formation, the arch rock over on that island. 
and I did the sums, I did the uh, standard equations, I did Google Earth and looked over the horizon from ground level, and, you know, all those things say you shouldn't be able to see it. But what people had forgotten to consider was the distortion of the Earth's surface. It's not perfectly round. It has depressions and raised areas in the whole mantle. And these these two images I've got up there, I, I put one that's a, a flat projection of the Earth just to kind of stoke those flat earthers and let them see that where the deep purple and blue is, that's a dent in the surface of the Earth. And where there are reds and oranges, that's a pushed up force of the Earth. And um, if you look at the flat image, you'll see over at California, there's a depression area there. And if the depression area, you know, the detail of it between Ventura and 18 miles away, if that depression area is between the island and um, the coast, and since it's an island, it's a, it's a raised area, that would explain why you could see across that area, because it's not perfectly round, it's depressed there. And, anyway. And that, that's kind of like here in, in uh, where we live, I see that. Uh, Lake Erie is part of this, uh, uh, the blue, so it, it dips down. Because on, on really clear days, uh, if you're at the right altitude, you can, and it's not a high altitude, you can see certain buildings in Canada. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, they shook me for a while when my equations, you know, verified what they said. You couldn't see that. But uh, once once I got into the, they got to this at uh, NASA and uh, the explanation of it, which I've put in. The, if you click that picture, that flat Earth picture, and look at it, it gives you some information there about how they determine this, um, you know, and what the deviation is, um, you know, from norm. Um, and if you click on that next cell over, the one that says Earth's gravitational geoid animated, if you click on the picture, it's a frozen picture to bring it up to show you the the uh, exaggerated lumpiness of the planet, you know, the shape of it, and they determine that by a number of satellites as they go around the Earth, they bobble up and down in their orbit by as much as 80 to 100 feet, and uh, this bobbling is caused by the force of gravity being less over certain areas and more over other areas, and that's how they determine the mass concentration underneath and uh, some other factors they use to determine the, the actual depression where there's not enough mass on the surface. But now that if you want to see the whole planet, you click on the text underneath that Earth's gravitational geoid animated. You click on the text, and that will bring up the entire planet as a rotational image. And uh, you can't stop it, but you can certainly see uh, the whole planet as it's misshapen, exaggerated. Now, please don't think that the Earth looks like that uh, russet potato on rotation, but it's just to show you in exaggeration the the unequal distance from the surface to the core of the planet in various places on the Earth. Um, anyway, uh, I know uh, week before last you guys were interested in uh, Atlantis, and certainly I'm preparing a paper I'm going to present in July, Lord willing, at the conference up in Colorado Springs with Prophecy Watchers. And um, from last week uh, and the week before that, I started researching these odd little stone formations in Saudi Arabia. And the weird thing is that these formations are in one uh, kind of discrete area with a couple of 
occurrences away from this main area, this main population of them. And um, if you click on the, let's see, you go down one, two, three, four, fifth row down, last picture on the right, it it shows a, a picture of Saudi Arabia and part of the Red Sea with a bunch of little yellow pins. If you click on that, you'll see the big picture, which I took off of um, Google Earth, and you'll see three yellow pins, it looks like. But there's a lot of yellow pins under the top right one. If you get in closer, you will see that there are many, many pins. And these pins are ones that I've placed over those keyhole-type stone formations that were made somewhere between six and 9,000 years ago, according to you know the archaeologists. Sorry, between 2,000 and 9,000. They've got a, a big, big window there. But it, nobody knows who made them or why they made them. But I found communities of stone buildings that were more, you know, like rectangular things that were buried in the sands up to the, the lentils and stuff. You could see them in the Google Earth photos. And so I started saying, well, here's a settlement, there's a settlement, and here are all these strange little keyhole-type stone structures that are about originally about four feet tall. So then I started looking around and thought, well, okay, this is this community of these people that nobody knows who they were in Saudi Arabia. Um, did anybody else build something like that? Surprise, surprise. In the uh, fourth row, middle picture, we have a uh, architectural rendering of Stonehenge, the way it was originally. Temple in the middle, the high stones, ring on the outside which guards the main island, other concentric rings, moats around it, and even a channel with red arrows showing going right out to sea. Stonehenge was built on a model of what Solon passed to Plato about what the the capital island of Atlantis looked like. And if you look to the left of that picture, you'll see Atlantis' capital with channels and docks, a painting made from, you know, the, the uh, Timaeus treatment of how Atlantis looked. You'll see very much that there is a channel running into the concentric rings to the center where the, the high part is, and that channel goes back out to sea. Now, if you stand over the top of it, like that, that rendering of Stonehenge, you'll see that it's a raised area in the middle, a big circle, and some little circles in between sometimes, and a channel, like an arm coming right through to that, but not in, mm. not entering the center, you know, where the, the, the blue area of the Stonehenge is. If you look at that, and then you go down to the fifth row, let's say, first image, which says, uh, what does it say? It says, strange ancient stone formations in West Saudi Arabia. Now, I had that up a couple of weeks ago. Look at it and see the wedge-shaped structure, linear, you know, a long structure, going into a ring with a high hill in the middle. It's as though you were standing over the top of Atlantis without seeing all the rings, just the main one around the central island and the channel coming through. But what is interesting in that first photo I have there is you will see little cross members from side to side of that long channel dividing it up as though they were docks, just like it says in the the model for Atlantis. There are docks. You can see them in the drawn picture there that they drew from Plato's writing. And I think what happened was that there were survivors from Atlantis. It didn't get everybody, but certainly got the capital and sank it. And it was a geological structure of something happened, you know, a disaster. So the survivors left, 
and as a symbol of remembrance of Atlantis, they made those stone formations, which had the circle in the middle, the raised island, and the channel arm coming out. Now, you know, that makes sense. But then you say, why did they go all the way from the Mediterranean or something, you know, Santorini up in the, you know, the GNC? Why did they go all the way from there down into Saudi Arabia to make their colony? I don't think they did. I do not think that Atlantis was in the Mediterranean or in the Aegean anywhere. Primary reason is there's not enough room to have the flat plain they were talking about that was 330 uh, miles long by 110 miles wide. That's a big rectangle. It, you have to, you know, you get on Google Earth or some flat map and you make a little rectangle of that dimension on relative scale, obviously, and move it around in the Mediterranean. There's no place there that you could have had the Great Plain and the city of Atlantis outside of that. Can't do it. Can you do it anywhere else? Well, if you look at the second row and uh, middle picture which says Atlantis Plain with North Pole where it was in 4000 BC. Now this is important. The Earth is tilted 23 and a half degrees off of where it should be originally. And that was from a, a large uh, meteor impact we think in the Chicxulub or maybe in the Indian Ocean, one of the two. But something knocked it off tilt. And in this image I've got there you will see the yellow lines are relative to the North Pole as it was in 4000 BC, 6000 years ago. If you look at the red, that's the North Pole as it is today and where it is. So when Plato uh, and Solon, when they talk about east of or north of for various things about Atlantis, it's the same issue I had when I was telling people about the land of Nod being east of the Garden of Eden, which is in Africa on the northeast side. And if you put the world back together again and straighten it up, put the continents back together again and straighten it up, You'll see that there's the west coast of India. There's a little foot and a hook there. You can see it in the, uh, just for a second, go to the next picture over Garden of Eden with North Pole at 4000 BC. If you go there, you'll see I've got Eden and the Garden in white, you know, the, the text, pointing an arrow over to Tanzania and a bunch of little pins, which is where the Garden of Eden was, and an arrow pointing over toward the middle of the west coast of India after it, you know, before it split and uh, formed the Himalayas you'll see there that the earth had to be reconstructed and the continents put together and the pole straightened up for that area to be east of Eden. Now, going back to the, the middle drawing there where I've got Atlantis playing with North Pole, when you look at this picture, this image I've drawn on you know, Google Earth and with Photoshop, you'll see that the North Pole, the yellow line coming up, goes up uh, I've got two forms. I've got one uh, North Pole line coming up through the Red Sea and another one coming up through the tip of uh, the Persian Gulf. Now, the reason I've done that is to compare two places that are strong candidates for where Atlantis was. Now, originally, the the size of the, the, the plain that you're talking about, that plain area, was not purely a rectangle. A rectangle, it was oblong, it says, and so it could have had some kind of you know, odd shape to it. It wasn't perfectly rectangular, but there was a moat drilled or dug, in, uh, dug around it all the way around that uh, plain, 
and I don't think we could be able to find that moat today because it would long ago have been filled in with mud and stuff. But the yellow rectangle I've got in the Persian, the Persian Gulf is 330 miles by 110 miles. Now, the red rectangle is that same rectangle if the Earth stretched, if it's now a third bigger than it was. As Pangea split and everything, as the flood happened and the impact of the meteor shoved India up to form the Himalayas, as that catastrophic event happened and split the continents, it stretched the surface. Now, there was a certain amount of stretch. It wasn't uniformly um, 30 to 33%. Uh, in the Persian Gulf, because uh, that area did stretch a little bit less than it did in other places where the the shock wave of the impact uh, made catastrophic separation of the mantle pieces. But anyway, somewhere between the yellow rectangle and the red rectangle is about the size that the plane of Atlantis would be today if you were looking for it. You know, the, the flat P L A I N, the plane of Atlantis. So, using the maximum size red rectangle, I've placed one in the Persian Gulf and one in the Red Sea in the middle of it. Now, strangely enough, the one in the Red Sea, the uh, Gulf of, of Elat, uh, that rectangle, the top right-hand corner of it, is very close to where the community of the keyhole stone structure builders formed. So if Atlantis was over here, these guys would have made sure and gone in to find habit, you know, habitable type territory there in western Saudi Arabia, made their colony and migrated some of them up into um, as far as the Glen Heights. Now, why do I say that? Because on that um, that enlarged map that I did of uh, uh, the fifth row down the right hand side, where it says "Download to KMZ for the keyholes on Google Earth." If you look at that, I found a stone keyhole way up there just east of the Golan Heights in Syria. So some people from the Atlantean symbol migrated there, and in the wetlands they put a stone keyhole there and some round structures with a raised hill in the middle. So that's why I say they went other places. But then I started looking other places in the Golan Heights. And the Golan Heights... Um, and kind of south of there is where the uh, the Rephaim, the giants, lived in the tribe of uh, Og. And there is a strange formation they've preserved. It's called the Gilgal Stones. And, you know, this is south of the Glen Heights just a bit, but that's where the giants used to live before the uh, volcanoes erupted and put magma all over the area and, and sealed it in. But this stone area here is concentric stones, uh, it's three, four, four circles, and if you look to the left, there is a pathway, like a channel cut from the outside ring to the inside ring. Why would they make a structure like that that looks exactly like the legendary Atlantis? Now, if you go back out mm -hmm. to the the uh, main show images page, you'll see in the fourth, or sorry, third row, middle picture, stone rings, the Navajo rock art. If you click on that, you see concentric rings, and you see a channel cut through the outer ones all the way up to the last ring, which was the metallic ring covered in orichalcum that Plato reported was around the center island, you know, where they were at Poseidon and stuff like that. You didn't have a, a, a channel port going into that. That was sealed off from the public. So very strangely, in the Navajo rock painting, they show this. In Chaco Canyon, 
they show the same thing. That's in the next drawing over. You can see the same group of circles, and you can see from the upper left going down into the core of that uh, concentric circle, you can see uh, what would be the channel. So all these are other cultures, long way away in our terms, you know, uh, after the continents have drifted apart, long way away from the Middle East where Atlantis would have been. But yet, before everything split apart and the catastrophic thing that caused the flood, there was obviously, you were you could walk from North America to Europe and stuff like that. They were all connected before Pangea split. So you can see that these things are in the older cultures and persevere in their rock art and stuff and, and, and uh, some uh, hieroglyphics as well in Egypt, which is, of course, where Solon got his report from the priest at Sais, uh, S-A-I-S, in Egypt near the delta there, uh, reporting what they knew about Atlantis. That, that, and, that culture in the area. Stan, if you take it a step further, uh, taking an aerial view of uh, Vatican, the Vatican City, um, mm. it is shaped like a keyhole, and there is a channel that goes out to the river Tiber. Gee, I hadn't and seen that. I, I just, uh, I, I just, I remember seeing the Vatican image, uh, an aerial image a while back, and you mentioned the word keyhole. And it, uh, I just prompted to look up on the Google images, the satellite image of Vatican. Not only is there a, a keyhole, um, with the, well, what's raised in the middle is an obelisk. It's broken up, uh, into, uh, the inside of the circle of the Vatican, there are, uh, different channels, but in, there's an opening from that keyhole, and the road goes right out to, uh, the river Tiber. And interestingly enough, just north of where that channel ends in that river, it looks like a star-shaped or a pentag- an unfinished uh, pentagon or pentagram, I don't know what you'd call it, five-sided, five-pointed star uh, that also yeah. is on the north of that channel. It's just very, uh, it, it just reminded me of those, those Saudi Arabian uh, holes in the ground that you, that you were showing on your show images page. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've I've looked uh, at mm, two places, two possible places for the island of Atlantis in the Persian Gulf, and I'm looking over in the Red Sea in the uh, Gulf of Elat as well. There are three places I'm looking at for possible locations. Now, the Red Sea one seems to be more probable, but if you look at the second row first image, which says Red Sea bathymetry, that's just how it looks underneath the the water, uh, the hills and valleys. If you look underneath that, um, you can see that there's a dark blue split right down the middle of it, which is where the the mantle separated, split, you know, uh, horrifically, and um, you know that's a very deep chasm that formed. But you know, the, if you subtract that from the width of the of the Red Sea and shove the lighter blue areas together uh, so that they cover up that dark blue gap that that tells you approximately what it was like before uh, the Pangaea split you know where the, the earth expanded so somewhere in there uh, in the lighter blue areas I think more than the dark blue you there might be clues to uh, where Atlantis the city was uh, one of the clues says that the plane the 330 by 110 mile uh, plane that the southern end of it and this orientation I'm showing here is the way it was 
in 4000 BC, the southern uh, end of that rectangular, or kind of oblong rectangular shape, uh, the trough, the, uh, or the, the boat that they dug around it, emptied in the southern corner, or southern side, it emptied into the sea. And if you had a long rectangle in the, in the uh, Red Sea like this, uh, certainly the southern end of it would empty straight into the, um, the Gulf of Aden, the Port of Aden in that area down there, and straight into the, what's now the Indian Ocean. So that would fit. If you look at the same kind of situation over on uh, second row, second picture of Atlantis being in the Persian Gulf, um, the southern corner, the right-hand corner of the red or the yellow um, rectangular area for the plane could empty into the Indian Ocean or the Arabian Sea at that point. So it wouldn't be directly north-south, though. Um, and, you know, it would be more like the south, uh, south-southeast corner. So that doesn't quite line up like it, like I wanted to. But uh, it is still possible that that was kind of a general approximation that they were using on the, the, the information that the priests of uh, Egypt had to give to Solon. Over on the mm, Red Sea side, the other thing that is of interest is that it was surrounded, the plain was surrounded by mountains. Compare uh, a location of the plain over in the Red Sea to that of being over in the Persian Gulf. And on one side uh, and, the, and the bottom, you know, the long and short side on the left side, there's just flat desert sand. There are mountains over in the, um, you know, the uh, Iranian hillside there, but um, not all the way around it. If you go over to the Red Sea, however, a rectangle there could very well be said to be surrounded by mountains from up at um, the Sinai Peninsula all the way down to the the Afar Triangle down at Aden. The whole area of the Red Sea is surrounded by mountains, which is a perfect fit to the description uh, of, of the plain. Uh, you know, and also, also the the building of the castles, you know, the, the throne palace and all that stuff in the center island, were done with three colors of stone: black stone, yellow stone, and white stone. And if you look very carefully at that uh, red rectangle in the, the Red Sea, on the coast you will see sand, which is where you you know it comes from sandstone being eroded. You will see black stuff, which is black lava rock. And if you get very close on Google Earth, you'll see how black it is. It's amazing. And, of course, to the top end of that, you have the red, yellowish-red sand uh, of uh, the Sahara, of the, sorry, of the, the desert there in uh, Saudi Arabia. So you would have a yellowish stone, which could be either sandstone or limestone. So those three colors of stone were used in the building of the temple. What they did say was that they had excavated that stone from around the base of the hill, uh, you know, the, the like diapir structure that um, the, the the castle was built on, and that after so many years of excavating the stone and building moat walls and that kind of stuff around the islands, uh, that it had weakened this. And so when they had the great geological shake uh, that destroyed Atlantis, it crumbled. The, the, the weight of the top rock and the 
cows and everything could not be supported any longer because they had excavated so much and mined so much from underneath it to build other structures that it weakened it and it collapsed. Um, I'm leaning very, very strongly toward Atlantis being in the Persian Gulf, or sorry, in the uh, uh, Red Sea, in the Gulf of Elat. Um, I did find about midway up, let's see, where would that be? About halfway up the the image I've got there that I've made of the uh, Red Sea, halfway up in the dark blue area, there's a very deep dark blue circular yeah. structure. Um, was that what used to be the city of Atlantis that collapsed? If it is, it means that since the city of Atlantis was not in the plane, that the rectangular plane had to either be below that or above that. And certainly, if you look at the northern, uh, in this particular perspective, the northern side of the uh, Red Sea, you'll see a very flat planar area up there that goes up to Mount Sinai. And that could very well be where the plain of Atlantis was, while the city of it was lower down, you know, in that deep blue trough somewhere underneath there. Are you starting to buy my story yet? <laughs> well, it's very compelling, very interesting. And uh, you, I, you're definitely onto something, Stan. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more research left to do. Um, I am finding small traces of a, a depression uh, that could have gone around an odd-shaped oblong thing in the northern part uh, of the Red Sea, in this old north. Uh, in current of an accurate, it would be up toward the the uh, Sinai Peninsula, but. Um, I, you look in the mud maps, and there are, are there more detailed ones than this, uh, looking for small, very narrow, thin lines that have been covered over with soot, or, or sediment, rather, that would have formed around the plain in that area. And there are signs of this just underneath the tip of the Sinai Peninsula and over to the left, down the coast of, uh, of Egypt there, or, you know, whatever country that is. It might be Sudan by that time, I'm not sure. But anyway, you can see small traces of what a modern part of that moat, and it, uh, it it does run down a ways down the coast before it disappears. Anyway, I'm having a good time with all this, guys. You know, Stan, what would be the um, implications, the, the contrary, or well, the implications that would be contrary to, to common belief, assuming, and and I would assume that 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 your your findings are, are correct on this. So. I mean, would would there? I mean, I guess I don't know how to, how else to ask that question except to say, uh, you know, what would this imply, or what would the implications be? Well, first of all, it's it's going to go against any location for Atlantis being in the Atlantic. Uh, there's just a number of factors: you know, the, the mountains, the um, the uh, the rectangular plain, um, the pillars of Hercules. Okay, they think that's the rocks that overhang or are on the, the sides of the passage of Gibraltar there in the Mediterranean. That, that, that might still be true, but um, the things that are going to have to change are, are the things that uh, conform to what the evidence is in the, in the uh, Plato document. That is, if you accept the Plato documents being truthful, and I do. Um, one of the things that I discovered in this was that um, or came to the conclusion in studying this was this Adam and Eve came first and they had multiple 
children who interbred with each other. The rule against incest was not passed by God until the time of Moses. So they could interbreed. That was not a problem. They were interbreeding and forming communities coming out of Tanzania, down the Great East African Rift, and into Saudi Arabia. Okay. After the Garden of Eden, the twelve sons of God that, according to the, the Plato document, came down to earth and found women attractive here, and Cleita was one of them, and mated with them and started making hybrids between the fallen ones, in essence, and the Adamic man, then produced a lot of the, uh, the creatures that we see in the archaeological record. So it's, it ties in with the Bible if Atlantis occurred after the Garden of Eden and after a time where they'd had time to make many children and their children can make many children, etc., because the average lifetime was between, you know, 400 and uh, 900 years. Uh, so you can breed a lot. One breeding couple keeps on breeding, and then their children keep on breeding, and they rapidly were populating the earth in that area. But if Atlantis was in the Red Sea area, it is so close, it is walking distance to the Afar Triangle, which connects where the, the great four rivers were that went up to Eden in Tanzania. It all fits, and time-wise, and, and even in Genesis 6 where it talks about the Nephilim being in the earth in those days, I think those were the fallen ones. And that would have been what Atlantis was. Gotcha. All right. Now, okay, now, connecting the dots on this from an investigative perspective, I can, I can see where um, this would not just confirm biblical and historical accounts, but is consistent with with both and vice versa. So, okay, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's that's the general gist of this week. Um, and uh, oh, if you go to the fifth row down picture on the right, which we looked at before, it says downhole. Uh, down, download the keyholes on Google Earth. If you click on that yellow print down there, it will download what's called a .kmz file. And that file you can load into Google Earth, and it will show you all of the keyholes that I have found and labeled, and all of the little, uh, in fact, I haven't even labeled yet, all of the little communities that were ancient communities in that area. And you can zoom in with your Google Earth and fly over all these areas. I've, I've marked them with pins in there so that you can go and see yourself where these guys all clustered and start studying what you're seeing there and use Google Earth as a digital, you know, archaeologist tool. Get in there and see what you can find in it, and deduce from what you're finding in these old villages and stuff with these keyhole things. Uh, you know, I see them uh, in one image. I see the keyholes where they're, the channel opens out onto a road, a common road, and you have keyholes on both sides of the road, but they're the 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 uh, channel side, the, the rectangular side, is always facing the, the, the road where you would travel. You know, it's like Atlantis did that. Uh, it, the end of its channel was going out to the sea where you traveled. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to deduce things from these, and, and by giving you access to these KMZ files that I've already started building, it allows you to, to go beyond what I've done and see and, and deduce why these structures are pointed in a certain direction, why they're close together here and not there, where they lived in were they symbols you know what were they they're still a great mystery in the in the archaeological community and getting you know high resolution images of it is difficult because obviously it's in a 
a country that uh, doesn't allow many of us to wander around with cameras. But um, anyway, uh, I put that there so that you can join the search and be a digital archaeologist with me. Fantastic. Mm. Uh, wow, I'm, I'm looking at this. <clears throat> Go ahead. No, it, it's just, uh, it's amazing. <clears throat> and as you're talking, Stan, and describing these circles, as I told you about the Vatican and the, the keyhole shaped, how that looks from the aerial view, I'm now looking at Washington, D.C., and I'm noticing, uh, you know, we talk about the layout and how uh, the design was, was uh, uh, definitely uh, done intentionally, and they have a DuPont circle next to Logan circle, um, oh wow! I, I, I hadn't mean, thought of that. And the White House is is encapsulated inside a circle, inside of a circle. Um, and I'll have to send you some some screen caps of these images, and and you can take them from there because you you might really be onto something here with this because it looks like not only Vatican City but Washington D.C. Uh, both have a, a layout of circles in the shape of of pentagrams or pentagons, as well as both have uh, a pentagon. Uh, one the building and one in the form of streets in Rome. Um, so you might very well be onto something. Something like here. maybe these are the behind-the-scenes people are remembering Atlantis are being ruled by you know the returned Atlanteans. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I'm looking at this. The Jefferson Memorial is like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. And if I you take that. it a step back and look at the White House, and you can see Dupont Circle, Logan Circle. Then, uh, you know, branching off the White House, there's a few smaller ones that are right along on these street lines, which are geographically laid out intentionally like this. You know, they say that you know, Freemasonry would design the city. Uh, but uh, this definitely will be. Uh, oh, man, I can't believe further investigation. Joe, we're only a minute out here of the program. I cannot believe how quickly this has gone by. Stan. And I look at the Vatican. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry, I'm just wow. looking. At, I, I, I'm looking at aerial photos now, Joe. You are absolutely right. That is a keyhole structure from the air. Yeah, That's amazing. And if you go to the right of that, after the, the Tibir River, if you just see the north, the street lines are in the outline of a of a star. Uh, we've reached the end of the program, though, Stan. We'll have oh. to talk off air and uh, see what we can do to further this investigation. Thank you okay. so much yeah. for joining us. Okay. Wow. Thank you, guys. Talk to you next week, Lord willing. God bless you. That'll do it for us tonight, folks. Tomorrow, L.A. Marzulli. Have a good night. This is the Global Star Radio Network.